Court of Appeals decision now devolve upon me the painful duty of unleashing upon society a repeated assassin. The prisoner's discharge. Call the next case. Antonio Montana. And you? What you call yourself? This country, you gotta make the money first. Then when you get the money, you get the power. Then when you get the power, then you get the woman. But as soon as I make my 75, I'm split. Maybe you don't remember me. My name is... Maybe I don't remember the last time I blew my nose. If I ever see you here, die. Did you ever kill anybody, Charlie? Uh, it used to take me a lot to the movies, you know. I learned. I watched the guys like uh, Humphrey Bogart. They scared me. They, they teach me to talk. I like those guys. I always know one day I'm coming here, United States. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise at the end of each episode along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. Come listen to us uh, rip apart Artemis Fowl. It was awful. We decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers Still also mad about our shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for over two years now. There's something like 60-plus bonus episodes, as well as Jamie was alluding to our bonus <laughs> transmission series where we talk yes, about new release genre films. <laughs> uh, and uh, we didn't have a great time last time we logged a bonus <laughs> transmission, but uh, especially Not being too. in the quarantine zone, there's lots of new releases coming out that we're talking about. Uh, um, straight online for everyone to watch. Yeah, not uh, the strongest so again, releases. Patreon.com slash podcast if you want any of those episodes. Um, so with the bonus terms, I think we're almost at 80 paid episodes uh, behind the paywall wow. there. Uh, and speaking of wow. which, we did have a lot of people make the jump this week, so we're going to give them their shout-outs here. Um, thanks Beautiful. to uh, Mark Dodson, Anonymous Patron, uh, Cheshire Puss, uh uh Dylan uh Riley Auman um Scrimmy Scrim right. uh Jerome Crane uh Andrew Bowers Ben Haffitz Robert Shirkowski Lance Garrison and that's it and Lance Garrison all right beautiful so thanks Thank to you all guys. you guys who signed up uh this week we appreciate uh that a lot hope you guys are enjoying your bonus episodes yeah um and that's the one plug for the week the other plug is always apple Podcasts. if you guys are listening on apple Podcasts, and i see the stats i know that a lot of you are make sure to uh scroll to the bottom right now as you're listening and give us a good old rating and review down there at the bottom it helps us climb the ranks over on itunes and find new listeners and we appreciate that as well uh but that being said welcome back to another episode as always, I am your host, Josh Lewis, and also, as always, joining me is my co-host, Jamie Miller. Welcome back, guys. Welcome back. I think two weeks ago would have been the last time you guys would have heard from us free listeners, and we would have had a special guest, Chris Cabin, on from the We Hate Movies podcast. Yeah. Where we did a uh, triple episode. feature episode on the uh, canon films that Toby Hooper directed. So it was a brief time in 1985 and to like 1987 
where Toby Hooper was making like expensive genre movies, including Life Force, which was like somewhere between a 25 and like 40 million dollar film, I think, which is a massive amount of money in 1980s to give to the man who made Texas Chainsaw Massacre to make a sexy sci-fi Star Wars thing that he thought he was doing about vampire succubus in space. Of course, Um, that's Toby Hooper's big budget film. That's just it's beautiful. Exactly. But we also talked about Invaders from Mars, which is his kind of riff on like an E.T. Close Encounter Spielberg thing, but with giant uh, meatball aliens (laughs) that like eat people whole from Mars. And laugh about it. I love it. Exactly. And then we also did Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which is um, his sort of uh, 80s excess sequel uh, to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and is very absurd and very gory with effects by Tom Savini and very gross. But we had a great time talking yeah. about it. Literally having blood and guts just pouring out of a wall at one point. Yeah, a, a mural so inside a subterranean abandoned amusement park, which is about as fitting <laughs> of a, an image metaphor as Toby Hooper could come up with for... Uh, oh, yeah critiquing uh sort of the entertainment industry as he saw it at that point (laughs) yeah uh but last week's bonus episode following up that episode we wanted to stick um sort of like in the realm of canon pictures um so we did uh the film that came out um basically just as canon pictures went bankrupt and they sort of made back some of their debt money <laughs> um, <laughs> you, uh, on this film called Cyborg by Albert Pion starring uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. And famously, uh, they basically just invented a screenplay out of costumes that they had already sunk like $2 million into for what was <laughs> supposed to be a He-Man Masters of the Universe movie and a Spider-Man movie live action that they lost the rights to at the last minute um, as they were doing pre-production on them. <laughs> so thus so was born they, Yeah, Cyborg. they made the Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, Jesus Christ Resurrection movie. Yeah, there and he, he split kicks his way through a dystopia pandemic plague situation. So of course. It, it was very timely he is watching. The cure. <laughs> and then we paired it with uh, Albert Pion's uh, follow-up Nemesis, which was a movie yeah. that he was working on under Canon, but is basically his version of like a cyberpunk Blade Runner style film, but is like absolutely um, bonkers in terms of, you know, what he could accomplish uh, with low budget action. It basically seems like, you know, it came out seven years before The Matrix, and the film I thought about the most watching it was The Matrix, which was kind of insane. Oh yeah, it had it had to inspire it. I, we we went on about that a, quite a bit in the in the episode. There's just so many things like the glasses, the the agents, the way that you know the the slow mo, the constant shooting. It's just no reloads at all with guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's and it's fantastic. very clearly Hong Kong film inspired as well, the same way that The Matrix yeah. was inspired by Hong Kong martial arts films. Nemesis seems very inspired a little bit by John Woo. So it's kind of like if John Woo took a stab at like a Blade Runner style film, but made on a really yeah. low budget. And the fact that it, it works as well as it does really impressed us. So that was last week's yeah. uh, bonus episode over on Patreon for anyone, uh, again, patreon.com slash podcast if you want to hear that one. Uh, but this week... We have a very special guest joining us, a longtime uh, Twitter mutual and shit poster and now Twitter <laughs> chug expert, uh, <laughs> Rob Franco. Rob, how are you doing? Hey, what's going on? <laughs> Welcome. Thanks so much for being with us today, Rob. Uh, what 
two films, Rob, have you brought with you, and why do they pair yeah, together? Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, well, so you wanted you wanted me to come on and do Pacino. Well, we had to. For well, we had to. I mean, yeah, it was the elephant in the room. <laughs> um, so uh, I I figured we we just got to go uh, Scarface and Carlito's way. Big ones. Well, we've we've wanted to do this episode for a long time, but I was kind of putting it off all the time because I kept wanting to wait till I saw Carlito's Way in a theater. I thought I was going to be able to program it at my job at one point, and um, then things happened, and uh, we're all in the quarantine zone, and that I don't know that I'll ever get to program another thing for a long time. (laughs) So you know, when 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 I invited Rob on and I knew he'd want to talk about Pacino, I was like, well, we've long planned this episode. And this seems perfect to have Rob on for, especially because his freaking Twitter avatar is Carlito's way. Of course. Wait, really quick, before I forget, I actually, because I was watching uh, Scarface uh, before I went to bed, and uh, I had a dream about Al Pacino. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Like, like we we were in a movie together, me and him, and we were, like, going toe-to-toe. Was he, oh, like, what, I, was he, like, young Pacino or, like, now Pacino? No, it was, well, it was, it was like, it was, like... He was basically Scarface era Pacino, and he sounded kind of the exact same, but without the Cuban <laughs> accent. Right. So it was like the same cadence, and and like I like pushed him, but but like he was in a chair, and I like tried to push him, but like there was like some hill that he was on, and then he gave me a speech about gravity. <laughs> it was crazy. He's like. Let me tell you about Grant, <laughs> and, then, and then he fucked me up. Damn, dude! Dude, I wish <laughs> I wish all... you could have recorded this speech in some way. Like we had some type I, of device I, yeah, to I do just, that. He said something sick about gravity. <laughs> <laughs> I we forgot the, the the yeah, I but like the, the line was actually well well thought out. But anyway, so, so we dude, will say that amazing. Al Pacino is pretty deep inside your mind at this point. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. He's taken Big over. Time. Always. Yeah. Rob. He lives rent free. Rob has been incepted by Al Pacino, which makes him the perfect guest to talk about. Uh, two of yes. Al Pacino's, um, I, I guess I can't say biggest gangster movies cause the motherfucker was in the Godfathers. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but 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 these are like his most like gangster gangster movies where he's like whacking motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah. Scar- just totally hands. unhinged. Yeah, yeah. Scarface. Scarface, yeah. Scarface is definitely his most popular film. That's not the Godfather films, um, right? And Carlito's yeah. Way, yeah. obviously, also directed by De Palma, also with uh, Al Pacino uh, <laughs> uh, playing a Latino man. <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna have a great time talking about both of these. Um, but that being said, I think we're going to jump right into it here. We are going to start off with Scarface. You're in good hands with us. Al Pacino is Scarface. He loved the American dream. With a vengeance. Al Pacino, Scarface. All right, we are talking about Scarface, the 1983 American crime drama film directed by Brian De Palma, written by Oliver Stone, and produced by um, longtime Pacino collaborator Martin Bregman. 
the film is obviously a remake of the 1932 Howard Hawks film about uh, bootlegging Chicago gangster um, based on Al Capone, who has a scar on his face. That was made around the time that Al Capone was like still around. Supposedly, Howard Hawks says Al Capone loved the film, but we don't actually really know that for sure. And uh, <laughs> Howard Hawks swears he had a personal print. Al Capone loved watching the movie. Um, but they had to say that it wasn't Al Capone and it wasn't based on Al Capone, even though his nickname was fucking Scarface, bro. And he had a scar in his face. <laughs> so, um, but either way, Brian De Palma and, um, Oliver Stone's film has a pretty similar trajectory, um, about a, um, a gangster named Tony who makes his way up the criminal underworld, um, gets a little bit drunk on power and uh, <laughs> similar <laughs> similar to uh, the 1983 film at the time that it came out it was like one of the most violent films um, that had ever been released uh, like probably two I just watched it for the first time this year and probably like two-thirds of the soundtrack of uh, Howard Hawks's Scarface is just Tommy gunfire and general destruction um, so, so much so that they actually had to have a warning at the beginning of that film that said, this picture is an indictment of gang rule in America and of the callous indifference of the government to constantly, um, wow. uh, to this constantly increasing menace to our safety and to our liberty because people didn't realize that it was about how the gang world is bad, basically. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And also, I, I, I think Scarface was pre-code, too, and it was one of the reasons that the code, the Hayes Code or whatever, got um, implemented, which was where, like, they basically started censoring um, sex and violence in, in films. Yeah, that sounds right. Are you saying... Yeah, I don't know if it is right, but it sounds right. Are you saying, too, with the Howard Hawks one, that, like, audiences took the movie as more entertainment rather than the... the uh, no, well, I, I, would, I would say that the producers and people who viewed the film slapped that on at the beginning because they were scared that audiences <laughs> would think that. Um, I see. Cause I just find it interesting. Cause I do, there is like a bit of people that I've talked to about Scarface, this, uh, the Brian De Palma one where it, it seems that they're more so enjoying all of the destruction and chaos. And it's almost like people glorify it in, in a certain regard sometimes it's similar to that thing where we talked about with like death wish and stuff where people just take it the wrong way they're like yeah vigilanteism and killing criminals on the streets is well to is be fair to them Bri brian de palma's images and excess are like very intoxicating and definitely oh throw, yeah. don't throw, get me wrong the, the, well it's a, it's like the same way you watch a movie like goodfellas Right. Like intellectually, you know, these are horrible people and like But it's so much fun. It sucks. But but but, but there's always a part of me that's like, man, I wanna be in the fucking mob. Yeah, I wanna yeah, do it. Yeah. Give me absolutely. give me the cocaine, let's go. Well, yeah, and, yeah. and I would say there's definitely a part of these of, of Goodfellas as well that you're supposed to kind of get swept up into the mania of it at a certain point and, yeah, and, and understand yeah. how someone could be drawn to it as much as someone um you know, sort, yeah, of, sort of is. And then that that's what, you know, De Palma sort of does with Scarface is that he, he builds like that first hour of Scarface is honestly just like a, a perfect piece of directing almost in just how pulsating and energetic and how quick and he gets you like into it without, without, without getting like cartoony as he does toward the end. <laughs> yeah. Like it, yeah. it's, it's like pretty, it, logic, it, it makes sense. It doesn't seem like ridiculous. 
No, no. And, and actually I, I want to say, um, I'm trying to remember, I think it was, I was reading, um, Pauline Kale's review. Cause Pauline Kale was obviously a really, she was on the forefront of the De Palma as should, should oh, yeah, be a was. respected auteur as much as like, sort of like the Spielbergs and the Scorseses are. Um, and, uh, she actually kind of had like a mixed review on Scarface at the time, but she had a, as always, even when I kind of disagreed with her, she always had a great way of describing films and her description of Scarface was that the like first hour of the film was basically the beginnings of what she saw as like a new post Godfather style. Um, that was like hot and raw, like a spaghetti Western gangster movie with the widescreen images and with just how instead of that into that, instead of that, like classy vibe where, you know, they set in the Godfather where it's at the wedding and they're all in suits and there's this slow, you know, he's, he's petting the cat. He's very, the forties. Yeah. Whereas this one, he's just like from the very beginning, like where we get this, uh, that interview scene where he's being interrogated by the, uh, by the border or whatever it is, you can tell already that he's, you know, he's, he's almost every time he delivers his lines, he's got like a, a dance going. He's always like moving mm-hmm. his shoulders. Yeah. And he feels like he's, I think he's like, it feels like he's constantly improvising, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's just making things well, up. Yeah, as he's he all, he's cracking jokes. Right. And he's like looking around. He's like, yeah, you guys like that one? <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Well, he's like very impressed with himself. Well, it's great. He's, right. he's very performative too. I, I love when they ask him, you know, how he learned to speak English. And he, he says that his dad took him to the movies and he he grew up watching, he says, Humphrey Bogart movies. and, and, and Humphrey Bogart, Reese Carney. Yeah, no. And, and, <laughs> I like those guys. Yeah, and, and those guys teach me to talk. Exactly. Yeah, because <laughs> J- James Cagney actually was a 1930s gangster actor. Um, he did like uh, Martin's, one of Martin Scorsese's favorite films, The Public Enemy. Um, which is a huge inspiration on on him. So it, it's funny that you know he basically says you know I learned to talk from these noir and gangster type actors, early actors, which is a good way to kind of frame his performance because his performance it does at times get like incredibly overblown and it does get cartoony at a certain point, but it does it in a way that is like sort of the 1930s gangster performance if it oh, yeah, if, if it was like, updated for the coked out neon 80s. <laughs> Yeah, like I feel sure. I feel like Tony kind of has this this thought in his head that he is constantly trying to sell himself, so he's always mm-hmm. doing the oversell. And that's where like when it cuz you know, we'll get to it in in detail, but the the second half of this movie where it really starts to ramp up all the the ca- kind of more cartoonish stuff, I still think really works uh, just because of how it ramps up. It just keeps it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and then more cocaine comes into play and and all that kind of stuff. So it, it just it feels natural to me the way that this movie escalates. Um, Absolutely. And we'll, and we'll get to it because I, I don't know like how you guys feel if it's a, a good or bad thing or maybe a mixed bag, you know, where, where it ends up. But well, I, I definitely feel like De Palma very uh, sort of slyly and, you know, I mean, he had a, a, a very uh, he, he liked to do what what Hitchcock liked to do with the uh, sort of manipulating the audience with like a pure cinema type experience. And he really liked to fuck right. with audience members. So one of the things about this film is just like how gruesome and excessive it can be and how obscene it can be in, in certain ways. Um, yeah. Very intentionally so. He, he really wants to like push people's buttons. Um, and then he wants to get to a certain point where you realize how empty a lot of those gestures are. 
which is kind of funny because that was a lot of the criticism of the film. So yeah. it's sort of it's sort of a, a masterstroke by De Palma to be like, I'm going to go as big as possible to show you how empty going as big as possible is, and it's just like, yes. so if it, so if it was actually empty, you know, De Palma's like, well, it's part of my point, bro. Like you can't you can't you can't criticize me for that, <laughs> right? I, and honestly, so, that's how I mostly mostly read it. Especially, I think this is like my third or fourth time that I've uh, that I've watched this uh, movie, and it's just. Mm. It's always hit me with. Uh, I've always really liked it, but I. But I will say, I think this time I, I just I, I sat there and, and I I loved every scene, I loved every minute, and I was I was starting to understand a little bit more of that. Uh, like what you just said, kind of him bringing that emptiness to the table amidst all of this, you know, excessive wealth and these <laughs> crazy sets, like the like the the black and gold room throne room that he has and mm-hmm. you know the the giant 30 foot uh bathtub scene where it's all gold in the bathroom and things like that it's just uh yeah it's just i i i think it's uh and that that scene specifically like the bathroom scene that is a is a huge part of that that emptiness because that's this that's the real start where where you see his relationship with you know his wife is completely you know, there's, there's nothing there. No, no amount of love. It's all built on material wealth. And then that's even when he starts yeah, to distrust his partner. To decay. Yeah. And yeah. And that's when he mm-hmm. starts to distrust his partner and stuff, or at least they have like their first kind of blowout. And it's amazing mm-hmm. to see that because he's finally succeeded, right? He's got the wealth. He has all the, all the, the crate. He, he's lived the crazy dream. And, uh, well, yeah, it, 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 it all begins with, uh, what's he got that I don't. And he says, look at that man. Right. He's got style. He's got flash. He's got pizzazz. So the rest of this movie is him just literally trying to be that guy that he saw. He's just trying to um, exactly. go from sort of, you know, sort of like this lowly, um, lower class immigrant and making his way up to sort of like this very uh, grotesque, overblown image of, uh, I guess, what you would call the American dream. Right. Yeah. And and De Palma obviously envisions that as like an incredibly sweaty, saturated like synth opera of like drugs and violence, and it's just it's like completely relentless a, in its depiction of like insatiable individual greed. <laughs> and it's the same thing that he even mentions when they're talking about women, where he views it as you know first you get the money, then you get the power, <laughs> then you get the women, right? And so. It, yeah. He has this idea already that that's just what the American dream is, and there's nothing there's nothing else about it. It's just it's it's power, and then and then ownership as well. It's not like he talks about these women as if you know he wants to find his one true love or something yeah, like no, that. He, it's definitely he, take, a, he takes Michelle Pfeiffer right. He like it's a possession. He steals thing. her. Yeah, absolutely. He views. He's he like, views okay, I'm going to murder your husband. I'm going to murder your husband. You're mine now. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's, it's another statue for his modernist mansion. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah, and then you have also have the portrait of them over top the giant fireplace. Like, you know, it's got all the, all the crazy ego moves. Yeah. And he gets the tiger. <laughs> oh, yeah, the tiger. And no, especially that's, nowadays. That, knowing that's that, actually one thing I absolutely love about the way that Oliver, because like, um, if if I have any issues with this movie, I do see a little bit of a clashing of sensibilities, a little bit between Oliver Stone as a writer and De Palma as a filmmaker. Um, they got into it on the set. Yeah, of this movie uh, Stone too. was really pissed because Stone saw this as like more of like a 
very serious kind of melodrama. And De Palma is good at doing melodrama, but De Palma, I think, just couldn't take some of the material seriously. So he kept pumping it up to the point where uh, some people claim almost that it's it's nearly a satire, that that's how sort of like ironically yeah. and sort of poisonously Brian De Palma is treating the material, uh, which Oliver Stone but, obviously but Stone wrote very also, seriously. Yeah, but he was also undermining De Palma on set by like like going up to Al and like like saying disregard everything you said this is what you gotta do <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like Oliver but, you're the writer buddy you're not the director this time and I'm pretty sure he got banned on set I'm pretty <laughs> sure Brian was like alright you wrote the script you're done yeah like, well because well, go ahead Josh oh I was just gonna say but one touch I really love that Stone puts in there is how uh, and, and honestly it suits Brian De Palma's version of, of his character and I think it's something he really latches onto is just how bad Tony's taste is in general. Like <laughs> like when he pulls up to Michelle Pfeiffer to pick her up and he's got like the yellow Cadillac with well, like the, the cream puff. with the with the cheetah print like seats and yeah. stuff. Like it's the ugliest car I've ever seen. She's like, I am not driving around in that. And and both of them are like, what? It looks sick. This is America. No, this is what America's about. You get the yellow Cadillac. You got uh, the cheetah print. It's, it's got some years on it, but <laughs> it, it, it's a it's a green puff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's a and one of the more um, subtle references that De Palma throws in is when they go to Bolivia and he's sitting down at the dinner with the Bolivian drug lord and they're discussing, you know, how they're going to maybe move Bolivian coke into through Miami. Um, and they're while they're eating, it, I think it, the scene starts as they're finishing eating. So they bring up the little uh, hand washing bowls that have the lemon in them for you to like wash your fingers off. Oh yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. He, and he, he eats, eats the, the lemon. lemon in the hand washing bowl. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. And, That's and a power move. So, right there. Good. So, so so it's one either obviously he's just doesn't have the taste to understand that you know that's what that's for or two he's just fucking hungry he's hungry all the time <laughs> yeah he's hungry for that, everything that is, that is such a good movie he's, he's constantly this whole movie is about tony as like a black hole of consumption at a certain point and that's just like another way that that fits in so i'm not sure if that was in the script or if that was a de palma choice but every time i watch that scene i lose my mind or a pacino choice. or a pacino could have very yeah. well been a pacino choice he definitely yeah, seems like he was possessed by the character at a certain point <laughs> it does feel like pacino and maybe you guys can correct me if i'm wrong here but it does feel like like de palma gave pacino quite a bit of room to improvise and do certain things like i don't know how to the script he performed this but it constantly feels like he's almost making things up as he goes mm -hmm. uh in, in certain scenes at least i know that uh, there's there's a pretty tight structure to this movie but uh it does. It does feel just the way he moves around, the way that he's so sporadic with how he talks. It it, it feels like the Palma was like, here's the general, like here are your lines, but then just feel free to kind of to go nuts with it. Like, do you know if he had a lot of freedom on set, or was the Palma more of like that? This is how the line said, you know. Do it, do it this well, way. Well, no, De Palma, I, De Palma has always been pretty open with his performers, honestly. Because, um, okay. honestly, you look at most of the scripts he's ever written, they're very light on actual dialogue for people. Um, oh, okay. A lot of them are pretty short. But, again, that's also because most of his set pieces, you'll find, are, like, wordless chase set pieces, which we'll discuss yeah. a little bit in Carlito's way. But, like, anytime right. he's ever had a chance to, like, make or write a movie himself... He honestly always favors like sequencing and um, sort of like reaction shots 
um, yeah. and has, has sort of let the performers kind of go where they feel they need to go to get to the space. And the, he's always talked about the way he designs set pieces too. It's not quite a storyboard. I think he calls it like a schematic or something. It's like this weird crossroads of like, he goes into a space, he takes pictures of it, and he's like, okay, so there's a feeling I want to capture, and your character, here's your character arc for this scene. You're going to go from here to here. The camera's going to move with you in certain ways. We're going to change some colors around you. I need you to express these feelings. Other than that, go with it. Like, see where the scene takes yeah. you. Yeah, because that's definitely and, and, the vibe I get with, uh, with Pacino playing this character. But I will say Oliver Stone definitely in his writing is a lot wordier. And I, I definitely feel like a lot of the, you know, there's a lot of iconic lines that you can see in the screenplay. Um, but Pacino's oh, yeah. delivery honestly takes them to the next level. I feel like some of them might not even be iconic if you didn't have Pacino going as big as De Palma was letting him go. Yeah, like, uh, like the way he says cockroach. He just had to, he had to go cockroach. He just had to, yeah. like, that added little, <laughs> like, syllable is, is everything. <laughs> it's great. It's great. Yeah. Um, uh, have, have you ever, there's some behind the scenes uh, documentary uh, where they're talking about the fake cocaine and, and what, what it was. and What was it? Al's like. Well, well, Al goes. I'll, I'll never, I'll never tell what it is. Uh, and then it cuts, and then, then it cuts cocaine. to De Palma, and he goes, and he goes, he goes, the cocaine that I was snorting was real. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah, I don't know what the fuck it was. <laughs> that that oh, is such a classic. That, that sums up De Palma's personality, man. Yeah. <laughs> No, it- um, but yeah, I definitely think there was a lot of uh, Pacino just channeling into tapping into that energy and kind of just being the character. Yeah, yeah that, that wasn't necessarily directed. No, hundred hundred percent. One thing I, I I do really appreciate about this movie is that if we're going to compare it to maybe other gangster films, because obviously at uh, when this came out, like the Godfather films just swept best picture, like kind of like back to back. And I know that um, when Oliver Stone was approached to do the screenplay, I want to say it was Sidney Lumet who was supposed to uh, direct this at a certain point. So the Dog Day Afternoon guy was going to work oh, wow. with Pacino because it was Pacino. I think his, Pacino's producer, Bregman, had previously produced Dog Day Afternoon. And uh, Serpico, I think they did as well together. So uh, he was moving Scarface along and had Sidney Lumet attached. And Lumet is actually the reason that uh, this isn't like an Italian gangster film, that this is a uh, Cuban gangster film um, because uh, basically nobody was interested in it. Like, uh, only person who was interested was Al Pacino, who wanted, who liked the original Scarface and wanted a chance to play the character. But, like, nobody wanted to make an Italian gangster film after The Godfather Part Two. <laughs> Everyone was just like, what else can you <laughs> do, man? Done. Coppola did it. Yeah. yeah. So, so Stone went, actually initially said he wouldn't work on it because he was like, I'm just, I'm not going to make an Italian gangster film. It's overdone. Nobody wants to see it anymore. And then, obviously, Scorsese would totally reinvent that anyway. Um, yeah. But... It was uh, Lumet who came up with the idea of setting it during the um, um, the Marielle boatlift on the the mass immigra- emigration of of Cubans um, traveling to the harbor in like the 
the early 80s, um, fleeing, yeah. obviously, Cuba for a myriad of political and economic reasons. Some of them, obviously, weren't weren't fans of Castro. Some of them, they were sending over, uh, uh, they, they say, because some of them were, were gay and fleeing. Uh, some of them were fleeing to go and live with their relatives who had fled, uh, like, many years before, uh, because their plantations and slaves were taken away from them. Either way, there's all kinds of crazy history in there. I haven't I haven't read up on it as as much as others have, um, but they really like the idea of setting it here. Honestly, mostly for like sort of like the stylistic reasons. The idea of a Miami gangster picture where you know you can have yeah. all of these colors. You can have these sort of like instead of dudes in a back room sort of smoking and whispering to each other, you get something that is like more pastel colored has crazy costumes has boats has these overlit skies has the palm trees um and uh, stone literally spent three years just like doing coke in miami as research <laughs> and he, 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 he was well <laughs> well i don't know if it was research i think he was just living life yeah, he was just having and a then later time. he was like no 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 it was purely it's purely academic well, i'm he, a writer he, Mm. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, see, and it, it's funny too because, like, most of the time you would think, "Oh, this totally came out of the cake fueled or the coke fueled uh, '80s," but like, actually, when Stone wrote this, he was actually sober and he was living, and I want to say he was living in like Paris or something. Oh wow! But it, but yeah. but it was literally because he was like addicted. He was trying. He was, he was trying to be sober. Yeah. Yeah. He so he, he was, was literally addicted to cocaine. About cocaine. So he was <laughs> like, like, "I'm going to move to Europe." Story. Based around cocaine, so I can still kind of have an outlet for it in some way. I'll live vicariously <laughs> yeah. through uh, this uh, this Tony Montana character that I've created. Yeah, which you know, not a bad idea. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But un- unfortunately, the uh, they did see a lot of sort of like production troubles um, make making this for. Uh, reasons that had to do with obviously setting in Miami. There was a lot of boycotts surrounding the films uh, uh, due to obviously um, a lot of Cubans were upset by the depiction of of them as as criminals, and uh, they they took a lot of note with the uh, the sort of like opening prologue where they say like twenty five thousand of the hundred hundred thousand or whatever had like criminal records in the opening crawl. Um, which is like as a way to set up that they were sending over you know criminals um, yeah. when like mm. most people who know the history will point out to you that like, you know, 25,000 criminal records, like some of them were like marijuana possession. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) So that's kind of when I read it, I was like, well, you're not getting really specific there. So I'm assuming at least (laughs) half those are probably just smoking pot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, so it's just like, you know, so they, 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 they got hit with some boycotts, which Al Al Pacino just had to follow him around every time he made a film. Like we talked about cruising on this show. He had a lot of boycotts for cruising, obviously for the depiction of like a serial killer of gay men in that film. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way, uh, I learned recently, uh, De Palma apparently was originally supposed to make that, and he developed that project before uh, William Friedkin did. Oh wow! So I was like, that, that would have been an sense. interesting movie. I was like, De Palma just loves getting into the hotbed of controversies. It probably it, that yeah. he probably would have made it really gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair to William Friedkin, before he had to cut it from an X to an R rating, like he had like full out porn sequences in it, basically. That oh had yeah. Really yeah. Cut down. I forgot about that. Uh, but speaking of which, this film had that problem too. It had to, it went from an X to an R, and they had to like actually fight the MPAA on like three different. Uh, sort of, uh, I forget what they call it, like appeals board situations where they, I think De Palma had to cut the film down three times and they still wouldn't give him the R. 
Oh, wow. and w- w- yeah. which was a really big issue for them because they uh, was it the just, violence mostly? Yeah, it yeah. was mostly the violence and just sort of like the tone of it a little bit too. Okay, because um, it's like just it, how it's aggressive v- it is and loud and in your face kind of thing. Yeah, while you're, yeah, exactly. while you're showing all this cocaine consumption and and crazy violence, like the chainsaw. Well, and I mean, and like, all that. yeah, I was gonna say, like, to be fair to him, like that chainsaw scene is just like absolutely repulsive, even though like you really right. don't like see it explicitly, but like it's it's really gross. He like just, that shot d- of the side of his head as his eye starts twitching, going into his head, and the blood blood starts spraying out Pacino in right. the face. It's those close-ups, yeah. man. Like the way that he'll he'll go from the the one guy holding the chainsaw, do his like it's it's really zoomed in too, and pan over to the guy, and then it's just wide-eyed because he knows what's about to happen. And then even when they switch back to uh, to Tony, it's once again it's really closed in, so you see every like you know bit of detail in his face as he's seeing his friend just get destroyed by a chainsaw. So well, yeah, even and, and, when and you don't show it. It's still really effective, and and you know it's it's one of those things where it just it shows just enough where it where you kind of paint the picture in your head. Well, yeah, and then Al Pacino like basically looks like he almost faints, and he like hits the yeah. the shower curtain, yeah. falling into it as it's getting like sprayed with blood and stuff like that. And again, De Palma, a very good uh, filmmaker of like suspense sequences that he stole a lot from the craft of 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 Hitchcock, but he uses a lot of like slow moving overhead shots he uses crane shots dolly shots like that that one where uh in that scene it basically goes from the bedroom of the motel room to the bathroom of the motel room but to do that it like dollies over to the television that they're watching in the motel room and then it's a crazy shot and then it hits the window and then it cuts on the opposite side of the window and like zooms and cranes out to look down at his partner who are sitting in the car, obviously, just like right. flirting with girls outside, not knowing what's happening, and that kind of a, kind of assaulting. Yes, <laughs> yeah. By the he's end, a little handsy. Yeah, he's by like, the end, oh, he's come really on. getting handsy. <laughs> yeah, he oh, seems to be oh, doing. Oh, that's the thing with with Manny. It's like he seems to be doing okay for the first like ten minutes, and then and then he just loses it in those first five. He just gets too handsy. <laughs> but then it. But then after it shows him it cranes all the way back to the bathroom window and then it cuts and zooms and cranes out from the interior of the bathroom window to the actual chainsaw scene. So like just the idea of shooting a scene that way is so complicated. And so, um, but, but it really does build a sense of like pacing and like, Oh my God, I know we know what's happening and the people outside have no idea what's happening. You feel so helpless watching that. Like you saw also, him pull a chainsaw out of a suitcase, and you're like, "Where do they make suitcases for chainsaws?" Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, for real, dude. So, uh, so, so it's like it's just the, completely unbearable to watch. Yeah, I also love the establish uh, establishment of of Tony's character here, where it just shows him like his pure confidence, even though he's really never done this before, uh, and. Because, I mean, you have your friend get just absolutely getting chainsawed, and then it's you're about to go and, and get that done to you, and he's just screaming basically like, fuck you, do it, that kind of that kind of crazy <laughs> yeah. shit. Well, yeah. And, and well, well th- this is a guy who's got nothing. Like, this is, like, right. his way out. So it's, 
you know. Yeah, and I think it's a, I just think it's a really smart choice to have something that extreme be the first interaction when it comes to the drug deal that you get with Tony because it's not, you know, it could have just been the the shootout kind of thing and that would have been very effective still having him go down the stairs and popping that guy in the middle of the street in front of everybody. You know, all that would have worked. Yeah. Um but just to have that added tension and that added violence to establish just like this is this is the lifestyle that he's about to get into and even after that moment he's still stoked he's still like yes this is this is what I want to do this is what I want to put all my effort into you know and I think it's just a it's a really good scene to to show everyone where this is going to lead yeah for sure well and and just the sort of like what people are willing to suffer to achieve the dream of being able to walk through a club or a modernist home and you're like very disgustingly pastel suit. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. It, it's, it's just like, you know, to achieve this sort of like image of success, he feels like he has to, uh, I mean, to, to take a long, a, a line from the original soundtrack. He's, he's got to push it to the limit, baby. He's got to take <laughs> it. He's got to go as far as he can. Um, Such a good absolutely. montage. Oh my God. Oh, it's the it's the greatest. Yeah, and that song is good, fire. When, when you see him on the when you see him on the phone, he's laughing and like yeah. the money's gone. And he's telling Sosa some story. I love that shot of him in the chair. Oh yeah, yeah, and and the song too it's is great. just pure '80s. Like it's it's so uh, it, it could only come out of that decade. And it's such a it's such a good pump up song. It's so it's so uplifting somehow. And you and and what's crazy? And then too, it turns into a wedding song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like like the the way the song shifts when they get married. Yeah, it's so funny. Oh man. well, yeah. It's, and I, I I also I also like that at that point he's like going to like bankers and stuff and like dropping like yeah. mountains of cash on the bankers. He's like the bankers the are like this is a lot. What what is going on? <laughs> There's that one yeah, great I, shot where all the people have like the just the bags of money and the one banker is just absolutely shocked. He goes like at wide eyes. Yeah. He's like, what the yeah. fuck? Great. One one thing I actually learned about um this movie on this watch was that um all of the music, including the pop songs, are all original score. Which is insane. Mm-hmm. So, so even, even, even push the, it to the limit? Yeah, it was written for the film. Oh, that's so yeah. cool. That's awesome. Yeah, so but like all the songs they're dancing to in the club, like the She's on Fire one and stuff like that, I think. I think there's only I think there's one Strangers in the Night yeah. is not. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say there's one song in here that's not. I can't. Is that the one? I would assume the, that's the Frank Sinatra. Yes, yes. Where, okay, yeah, that's that's uh, that's the one. The one that They killed the clown in the club. The the one that doesn't sound like an operatic synth new wave score basically. That's uh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So 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 credit has to be given to Italian composer Giorgio Giorgio um Morader who just absolutely nails it on on the score. I think a huge reason yeah. this movie works and how, what makes it so All the songs sound like like Grand Theft Auto tracks. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think I'm pretty sure that the the one Miami Vice I think is one of the GTA yeah, ones. No, it's, Vice City, yeah. It's, oh, right, it's right. Scarface. Yeah, 100%. For sure. Yeah, 100%. And um Oh, what was I? Oh, the uh, I love how simple the the main score is. It's just like three chords of just but pulsating dun, synth. Dun, dun, dun. Dun. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah, there's so yeah. much like anger and pain in that score, and it's so simple. You know, it's like like we always talk about like the scores from uh, the, the those old westerns. Um, how am I blanking mm. on the name? Yeah. Uh, 
But, the Ennio Morricone yeah, stores. Right. Like those are so complicated. So just 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 filled with instrumentation. And I mean, they're they're incredible. I just think it's a real skill to be able to also take just such a simple simple synth score and make it this iconic thing because uh you know it's it's instantly recognizable uh and it's very effective too like i just i love the mood yeah well it's it's very operatic and melodramatic in the same way that like the right. um the, the the writing is which which lends itself to actually making i think the writing come off a little bit better than it is because like the music does such a good <laughs> job of like communicating i think like the feelings that tony has even if some of the writing at a certain point like on a scene to scene basis it can get a little get a little inscrutable like why he feels a certain way he'll just sometimes all of a sudden uh, I mean, even in the music, you can sometimes like, feel the transfer hit really hard. Like, I almost laugh every time it does, like, the almost Kill Bill sound when he sees a guy, like, flirting <laughs> with his sister, which is just, it's, it's a little much. <laughs> dude, that, no, that is not, that is my, not too much, my friend. Come on, th- dude, that, that zoom my in. My sister so, in a toilet? And it's so <laughs> instant, that, like, because it, it is, it's truly like he's just walking around the club, totally normal. You know, the normal vibes, normal score, <laughs> and then instantly zoom in, high-pitched synths right in his face. I, I think that, like, it does make me laugh, but I do feel like... Uh, right, well, know, it's kind it, of that let, satire let, thing, let me right? be clear. It, it's not too much in the score. I think it's too much in the writing. I think, the, I think I he's see. being asked a lot as a musician to sell that very sudden transition in feeling, which I think he I almost successfully does with the music. But like, if you didn't have that amazing music doing that, you would be like, what the fuck is this character expression? He all of a sudden has. Oh, yeah. 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 For sure. For sure. <laughs> I, I can't see it working any other way, honestly. No, his, yeah. I, I think, I think the score is what sells a lot of the emotions of this film rather than like the writing does because a lot of the, the, um, a lot of Oliver Stone's writing is just like incredibly broad and incredibly, you know, it's not like a lot of like character specificity to it. It's just like at a certain point he has to hit the beats of the original film. Yeah. Um, Although I do like, I think there's something to be said about how empty every other character is because like Tony, Tony is putting on a show and as much as we love the character mm -hmm. he's iconic he does feel by the end completely empty. Kind of like what we were saying, right? Like this is, it's a big spectacle, but there's really nothing in, inside. Uh, and, and I think mm -hmm. Tony is kind of that personification of that. And I don't mind that like, well, yeah, every other character feels emptier. Like you have Michelle Pfeiffer, who is essentially just like the kind of the material wealth wife. And then you have Manny, who's just kind of the friend and bodyguard. Um, there aren't, there isn't too many crazy character moments, but I think that emptiness kind of says a lot about what the film is doing as well so i so mm -hmm. I, I don't know i guess it just doesn't it doesn't bother me um although i yeah. think of, of you know fleshing out michelle pfeiffer's character a little more probably would have been beneficial but i still see i think what he was trying to trying to get at mm -hmm. well and and i would say honestly just some of the relationships up with the with the sister uh, we we kind of have sure, one sure. kind of nice early scene where he goes back and he you know he he goes to his mom and his sister and he that's a great that's a great scene yeah yeah and yeah. he 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 kind of buys them nice things and he's like look at me look at what I've done and the I I really do like that the sister is so excited to see her older brother and then the mom is just like scowling because she knows that you know he ha he, yeah. he had to have cheated his way to the top if he's gotten here 
Right, and and he's not pissed at her because she know he knows she's right. Like, yeah, he's he's yeah. not he's not mad at his mom. He's like, yeah, yeah, I, I gotta hand it to you, you old broad. <laughs> you know, absolutely. But also, the the thing about what were you on? Oh, I was just gonna say because we were mentioning the, uh, the 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 one score where he sees the the sister dancing with the guy. This is that first initial moment of that where Manny. It like says, "Hey, your yeah. sister looks really good," and they do this. She's he does this sharp man. turn to him, and the the score pops off for like a second again, and he's just like, "You fucking stay away from my sister!" And that instant she's rage not for you, man. It's it's just yeah, exactly, exactly. That instant rage is just uh, it's it's just great. It's it's it is funny, but I I find it very true to his character still. Absolutely, the guy can yeah. pop off um, at any moment. Yeah, but uh, but it, it's funny too because. It's it's just that they're taking this actually from the original film, so they they just ha- they have to put this oh, stuff okay. in there with 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 the sister. Um, oh, I and, didn't know that actually. Yeah, so a lot of that stuff is is in the original film, and in the original film, it's a little bit more clear that it actually is like an incestuous interest. Um, okay. Okay. Because uh, in, 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 in this one, I I feel like they just didn't quite. It's funny in a movie that's so excessive, they didn't want to like really go quite that far. Honestly, I feel like they probably could have and could have gotten away with it, but I feel like they were like, we're pushing so many buttons already, we maybe shouldn't push this yeah. one. But in the original film, it is pretty clear that he is incestually interested in uh, yeah. his sister. And actually, the death of Manny, the scene where he uh, shows up and he finds that his friend is 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 married to her now and he gun guns him down in his doorway that is actually shot for shot from the original film oh okay um, like that, that. That, that that's like the closest thing to palma steals from howard hawks's version I, I i was kind of amazed actually See, when i watched the howard hawks version and i was like oh wow like that scene is like totally lifted the one difference i'll say is that um uh, Steve Bauer and Al Pacino as the two characters are very charismatic together. So I feel like you do get a little bit more feeling out of that relationship than you do in the original film. Um, right. So like See, that, 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 that scene is a gut punch when he shoots him literally in the gut and you do like that Dutch angle, like falling shot yeah. with his body. Like it, 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 it hits pretty well. And obviously Giorgio's score once again on fire during that moment. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and also uh, before I was, I say my initial point. The, I love that scene too because it's that first time you kind of see Tony completely calm down. I mean, to the point where he kind of becomes like a entranced. Just he's like, you know, hypnotized by the moment. He's just kind of blank, staring at the body. There's even a part where he's he he's about to walk up to Manny's body and like it, almost maybe see if he's okay or say goodbye or whatever. And the bodyguards are the ones that stop him from doing it. And I also really appreciate the bodyguards uh, performances in this scene because they seem like genuinely kind of sad about the whole situation. I mm-hmm. like that they, they didn't like flesh out the bodyguards by any means, but you see them throughout the movie on this journey with Tony. So you mm-hmm. can tell that when Manny dies, they genuinely felt that. And I like that there's kind of a sadness to them being like, we, we have to go, Tony. Like, this is just... It. Well, well, it's also because, like, they, they started off as, as, as Tony's equal, and now Tony's right. the, their boss. Right. And they could very easily be Manny next. Right. So it's like, all right, we, 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 picked it, we picked this guy to be our captain. We got to follow him through hell. Well, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I'm not and, getting shot, too. 
it, it's really exemplified in that in that scene that I absolutely love where he uh, kills his old boss who tried to do the oh it's the best who, who, who tried to pull scene. he hires Ernie yeah he well because he hires Ernie hey Ernie you want a job because yeah, his, his, his old boss tries to put a hit on him for dealing with the Bolivians like solo like without him. And it's also a great uh, scene. The only sort of like Hitchcock-esque suspense scene is when those two guys try to kill him in his own club. And he's like totally miserable, not enjoying the comedy show like at all as two guys are sitting like across well, that, from him. Well, that's because he just had uh, the thing with his sister, right? Yeah, right, yeah. And it, but, it, but it keeps like sort of like craning across the club back and forth between Tony completely miserable in his booth and the two guys there with guns. And it's so funny that one of them is like literally killed by like stage lights, which is a such mm-hmm. like a hilarious De Palma gag because that's like such a cartoon way to die. But like it does, it does yeah. work with again De Palma doing like this portrait of sort of like shining, colorful success images that like someone would literally get killed by lights in this film. Um, but after yeah. he pulls that hit, he goes over to the boss to basically go and kill him, and he's a little bit injured because they just had like a wild shootout in the middle of a fucking dance club. And then, mm-hmm. but the the image inside this room which one half of the room is like gray bland corporate office space and the back the back wall the the painted sunset yeah the painted sunset with the palm trees and stuff like that it's just like a perfect representation of you know covering up what's really happening here with like these shiny images um where it's all i also love the difference between because they i think they on purposely have uh tony kill uh, the cop and Frank in that scene. And I love the difference that they have between Frank, who's just kind of, you know, like begging for his life. And Tony sees this as a completely, like, he, he just has no respect for him because he's like, in this, you know, Tony at this point, it's like, in this game, you got to be the top dog, the the strong man that's willing to do the things that no one else will do. And then meanwhile, you have the cop who just has this, like, like he screams, fuck you, before, yeah. before he gets shot in the stomach. And... I just, I, I just really love that contrast. It almost seemed like Tony had a bit more respect for the, 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 the cop just based on the attitude, and that's 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 how Tony gauges like who's a well, real yeah, he, man and who he, isn't. He, he lets one of his goons shoot the boss, doesn't he? Like he, yeah. he doesn't, he doesn't oh, even right. shoot the boss. He, he goes, he he has Manny shoot him. He goes. Cause, Cause he's kissing Tony's feet and he goes, don't kill me. He goes, I'm not going to kill you. <laughs> he goes, Manolo, shoot that piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> and also what's great too, that there's so much uh, irony in that because just before, I think it's like just 30 seconds before he tells his, uh, he said, he goes, no, you never had n- no one do nothing. You just had other people do it for <laughs> you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He makes that I, point I butchered it just Frank. then, but yeah. Yeah, makes it yeah, too frank it's, it's and then great. goes, "Hey, henchman, uh, fuck him up." Like it's yeah, just, yeah. He, and and I don't know if you know, you know, Tony at that point is almost doing it in a a fuck you to Frank as a, like an ironic thing, or if Tony's like just I, I, that I can do it too, like 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 say yeah. I won't kill you, <laughs> right? Like he's just or he's that. I, I think it, it's definitely calculated. It's yeah. definitely calculated. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, but then just, but then I they offer Ernie the job, which is just such a great punchline to that scene because there's a perfect. It's like, so tense. Classic seventy De Palma zoom. And the music is building as it's zooming in on Al Pacino's face where it's like, what is he yeah. going to do with Ernie? What's he going to do with him? But then the music then stops, the zoom stops. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and he's just like, you want a job, Ernie? And he's like, yeah, sure, Tony. <laughs> and he's so relieved, too. He's so relieved. His face is like, oh, my God. Thank God I'm on the payroll. Holy shit. It's yeah. so funny. 
Um, oh, I just wanted to speak on the uh, the sister thing uh, before we moved on from that. But for, for me, that whole the incestuous thing kind of it, it, it sneaks up on you a little bit. But I, I do think that it works because, once again, Tony views everything as like a possession, including his sister, right. who who's the only one who it feels at first he might actually have a genuine love for. But as the movie goes, it just becomes another thing that he owns. And so when she well, yeah, goes man. up to him and the, starts the, the, the saying, world like, is yours, Pan American Airlines. Right. That's a great <laughs> shot too. to just look like be inspired by a fucking Pan America blimp. Like that's your, which that's also, your go to motto. By the way, got to point it out. Stolen from the original film. Really? Mm. The world. But is I mean, yours? not stolen. It's, it's a literal remake. They dedicated to Howard Hawks, Howard Hawks at the end of the film. But yeah, actually the end of uh, Howard Hawks's film is um, him dying in the streets in the gutter, and then it pans up from his corpse in the streets up to a billboard that has a giant neon "The World's Yours," and that's the last shot of the movie. Oh, that's great! Mm. I gotta, I mean, mm-hmm. I gotta, I still gotta watch the uh, the original. Um, yeah, the, the the original is very good, and and the uh, this film obviously also is is really good, and they did a lot of stuff that was was different. They really did update this film and like change the setting, change the style, the performances very, very hugely. Um, but, but honestly still honored a lot of like the character themes and like that world is yours thing is like a really huge part of his, his character. Um, yeah, because he also has that line early on in the car too, where, what does it, what does he say? Like, uh, I want, uh, he, he says, he says, he says, uh, what do you want, Tony? He goes, I want what's coming to you. Oh yeah. He goes, well, what's that? And he goes, the world Chico and everything in it. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> so many good lines that he delivers just oh, so it's, well. It's, dude, uh, yeah, and it's, it is his delivery, he, but like I still I mean, I think some of the some of the lines that Oliver Stone uh make I, I think would still would still resonate. Obviously with when you have this over the top Al Pacino performance, it's uh it's just more fantastic. But well he can, even he can like, just chew the hell out of like small lines. Like that line uh early on when he's talking with Manny by the pool. And uh, he asks the girls if they want to get some ice cream with them, and they blow him off. You want to get some ice cream with my friend and me? Yeah, and then and then Manny looks at him, and he's just like, ice cream. And his line is so amazing. He's like, I don't know, girl, girls like ice cream, man. Girl, girl, girls like ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or then when, he, when Manny shows him the tongue trick, what the fuck is that, man? You look like a fucking bug coming. You look like a lizard. Oh. <laughs> The fucking disgusting. What am I? He goes to the little kids. Yeah, the kids. He goes. He goes. I'm. I'm gonna watch my friend. He's gonna go stick his tongue out to some girl. <laughs> uh, but but that you know what? I'm glad you brought up that scene because uh, one thing I love so much about this movie is um, we talk about how like Tony is like super empty by the end of it. Yeah. But like uh, I'd say pre. Everything before the push it to the limit scene, before he fucking cucks Frank and steals his wife, yeah. uh, there's so much character mm-hmm. that he shows throughout the movie. I agree. Like this is a this is a guy with like real drive, real ambition. He's so likable at certain times. Yeah. That moment particularly, or the moment uh, when he's in the car with Elvira and he puts on her hat. Yeah, he goes. Would you stop kiss me if I wore a hat? Which, which, by uh, the way, yeah. uh, a completely improvised moment. Oh, yeah, that's, it's uh, I, amazing. I love it too because he's kind of he's you know Michelle Pfeiffer has this very you know she she's never smiling always like you know you're 
you're, you haven't impressed me, that, that whole thing. And that scene is great because he makes her laugh for the first time and you see it in his face and when you he know, realizes. like, oh, he's, he's going like, to get her. I, he's right. gonna, he's, like, he's going to do it. I broke you down. It, like, I did it. Like, I, I, was, I was consistent and, and I never stopped <laughs> to probably an annoying extent. But but he but he broke down those walls and I love that scene because it's just so simple. It's you know he just puts on the funny hat, she smiles, and then boom, you know that their relationship is gonna kind of take form. Uh, yeah, so really, so, really so, so apparently he he wasn't supposed to put that hat on. So Michelle Pfeiffer like laughing at it was like looking back at him and he's got the hat on. Like she that. wasn't actually expecting that. that at all. Oh, that's great. That's hilarious. I love that. Um, uh, another scene I love so much is um when he meets with Sosa for the first time. Yeah. And uh, he's like he's uh Omar leaves uh and he's like I'm gonna, I'm going to stay here. I want I want Tony to stay with me and I want to talk to him a little bit. <laughs> and uh Tony is very like humble around Sosa. He's like he's like complimenting him is like you're living the life like and he's calling him Mr. Sosa. He's like very respectful. And then, and then Sosa gives him the binoculars and he sees Omar hanging out of the helicopter. Yeah, which, by the uh, way, uh, the, the detail that, that they wait to toss yeah, him great. out uh, until he's looking and you get the wide shot of his body falling yeah. and then snapping his neck as the rope like uh, hits, hits its peak. Brutal. Uh, yeah, and just I, a, I, I love like, like just, Palma had to go back to because like, they show the body yeah. hanging and then they show the helicopter yeah. actually leave the the shot and so yeah, the body, body. kind of drags behind because of the physics of yeah, it and yeah. it's so like it's just gross it's 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 fantastic well yeah it, it, it was definitely De Palma's attempt at like a godfather execution but he was like how can I make this even grosser and sleazier and trashier right. in some capacity yeah, yeah. he's like how can I take it to the next yeah, hang, hang, hang him out of a helicopter <laughs> fuck it yeah but um, but so one of the my favorite like moments of acting from Pacino in this movie is uh so like before he sees uh, Omar hanging out of the helicopter he's all respectful Mr Sosa blah 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 then he, he looks in the binoculars he and then he throws him at Sosa he throws him and he goes let's get this straight Sosa. And he's he's just showing them. Okay, you're not gonna fuck with me. Yeah, like that that like, that, that shit is done. Yeah, he, yeah. He he's he's like, okay, no more Mister Sosa. You're Sosa now. We're equals, bitch. Yeah, like I'm. Uh, I've never fucked anybody over in my life. We didn't have it come into it. All I have is my balls, bitch. Like he, he, total and power breaks move. Him. Yeah. Exactly. And I love uh, exactly. I love their obsession. Like all the guys, the way that they talk have this. Like, okay, for instance, Sosa, the famous line where he's like, don't you ever fuck me, Tony. Don't you ever fuck (laughs) me. And it's not like he doesn't say, don't you ever fuck me over or don't you ever fuck this up. He says, don't you ever fuck me. Like, it's like a legitimate, like, like there's a, there's a sexual like power to it (laughs) in some way, you know? And he even says it later on when, when everything starts to break down and Tony doesn't go through with the assassination. He goes, I I told you, you fucking little monkey. (laughs) Don't fuck (laughs) me. me. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Pacino in that, in that moment does one of my favorite pieces of acting that he does, which is he, wait, yells at the telephone. He he fumbles. (laughs) that speaker uh, phone and and he he like fumbles it like 10 times trying what the fuck you think you're talking to he's so angry he's so angry what the fuck you think I am yeah 
They show the hangar. And he goes, to- you want to go to war? You want to go to war? Okay, we take you to war, okay? <laughs> and they show the hang-up too, so you know as an audience that that he that Sosa's already off the phone, but Tony is still yeah. just like fucking going crazy, like just spazzing out, yeah. shaking basically. Just that coked out energy. Yeah, yeah. And that's where the mountain of cocaine is on the table and everything. And it's just, oh my God, that's it reaches heights here. I, I it, it's unbelievable. The, the the energy that he gives off in the last like 30 minutes is it, it's tiring to watch like you're just mm-hmm. like exhausted for Tony <laughs> yeah one one thing I really like about the last um like sort of 30 minutes of the film is post the dinner scene where he's uh, the with, best with, scene with, in with the Manny movie. and Michelle Pfeiffer where he doesn't that <laughs> the best scene in the movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, where he just basically shits on her at the dinner table, and she actually like kind of like uh, fight fights back at him. Basically, there's like a violent, vulgar outburst in like a really fancy restaurant, which is another uh, thing about this movie where all these kind of like rich people are ha- having a very respectable dinner, and he's sort of interrupting it. He he does his big line about how you know he need they need him to be the bad guy yeah. because you know they all are in the pursuit of greed and capital and money in the same way yeah. that he is. But like he does it in a way that's just not as respectable as them. So he's like he's the bad guy, as he says it. And my favorite bit in all of that is as he's on his way out and he's like stumbling. Yeah, you, yeah, that, yeah. That De Palma, There's a bad guy coming yes, through. We better get out of his way. He's leaving the restaurant, and like <laughs> yeah, all, so all you have is all the stunned patients in the restaurant, like watching the doorway where he just exited. But you can still hear him fucking yeah. yelling and yeah it's a bad guy I, coming through <laughs> i also love you better that get out of his way i love that he says uh that he says you're never gonna see another bad guy like me and uh it's it, to me again. it was like now obviously we can say it a little more with confidence like 40 years later but to me it was like we weren't honestly going to see this type of ex- like excess villain uh again for at least a, a very long time because it's like how do you top this kind of character you know mm-hmm. like any any more uh any more over the top and it would absolutely be parody so it's just uh because because i mean you know al pacino is riding that line especially in the last 30 minutes uh and 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 i don't know if like oliver stone was was that confident in, in all the character in the character that he was making when he wrote that line but it did come off to me kind of awesome looking at it in 2020 just like we really haven't seen a, a villain like Scarface uh, again and that the only maybe like you could say like Wolf of Wall Street in a way uh, <laughs> just that kind of once yeah again, but he's that not excess. whacking people but it's not right it's a th- that's a very normal performance so this this villain I just this over the top uh, excess villain is 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 fantastic, mm. and I just well, love that it, line because it's like we haven't it, 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 seen it. It all it also it's Pacino's performance as like another surface of the movie. Like it's very performative, right, exactly. in the way that like exactly. he's performing success the same way that he's dressing success the same way that he's right. You know, uh, he he has to live in it. He has to live inside of these sort of like decadent images that he's consuming at the same time. But they are right. they are eventually you know as as we get to the finale which is just like a pure id of destruction basically like all of the florals and colors have instead become like this like deathly black and gold and like blood red carpet and stuff like that where it's just like 
bodies being shredded in like a pointless act of power and and decadence at a certain point because like obviously the bolivian hit squad just comes and 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 takes him out and he just has to have a show of power where he's just murdered his best friend his he basically got his sister killed um and he just still has to he's coked out of his mind off the mountain of cocaine and he yeah, just he, basically he is takes gone. it. He's just like, yeah, I, I can take on an entire Bolivian hit squad that he isn't and even I, being particularly stealthy. I love that they run into the mansion like super stealthy, but then one dude just tackles yeah. a dude into the pool. And I was like, that and is not it's stealthy. Over. Yeah, that's yeah. the plan. It's like it, from there, it's just like, all right, plan B, just fucking go kill him. Um, yeah, I love too well, I, how over the top once again this scene gets because I, you know Tony becomes superhuman in this scene. He literally yeah. takes, well, that's that's the cocaine. That's the cocaine. Yeah, yeah. oh, absolutely. He is. Yeah, the coke is driving this man a hundred percent. Like I just love that shot of him taking on the fifty bullets I, I, and going yeah. like, "Come on, I'll take your fucking fuck. bullets." Yeah, I'll take them. Yeah, it's just it's one of those. It's. I think it's just such a, a great moment that encapsulates everything that we've seen in the last three hours. <laughs> and it's basically like, I don't even give a shit. I, I, this might be the end of my life. I've lost everything. And I'm Dude, just going to perform is, until I die. That's just yeah. what I'm going to do. And I, I, it's almost <laughs> like you respect, you respect it in this weird way. Like, obviously, this guy is a complete toxic maniac. But, <laughs> like, to, to go out in that kind of, like... Well, fuck it then. I'm just I'm I'm gonna do what I I'm gonna be exactly who I am. I guess as as empty as it is. Well, and uh, and, and, yeah. and also the pure unhinged, like overpowering, like lad loudness of the gunfight is honestly the yeah. closest this gets to replicating a gunfight from the original film, which is just like Tommy guns destroying your ears for like right. you know. And like of course, we minutes. have the added grenade launcher, which is just a great touch. Yes, say hello <laughs> to the, my the little new, friend. the noob tube. The noob tube, yeah, absolutely, as they call them. <laughs> but um, I love I. W- another thing I love is after he takes all the bullets and he's like, "I'll take your fucking bullets." Hi, uh, 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 by the end of it, he's not even saying real words. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he's just like, ah! <laughs> like, <laughs> like if you watch that scene, he's just speaking gibberish. Hi, take a ball. Yeah, so yeah. good. It's it's incredible. Um, I love it yeah. so much. But uh. But so obviously, I just want to make it clear. Al Al Pacino is probably like my favorite actor ever. He's a kid. And, he's unbelievable. Uh, he's he's the greatest. Yep. But um, I I there are some people that that like to make fun of him for performances like this and kind of that over the top. Great. Uh, that that yeah, the scent of a woman, hoo ha, yeah, uh, yeah, type of thing. And I think th- that whole image of him started with this movie yeah it's like it's it is kind of like he couldn't let tony go completely you know (laughs) but 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 it always have you guys ever read uh bill jabiri's uh al pacino interview no it's really excellent but there there's a a part where he just he basically al himself sums up his his career uh Perfectly. So the question is, uh, in a lot of your earlier parts, there's kind of an understated quality. The characters are very watchful, always absorbing things. In later years, you're unafraid to go big to, at times, be almost theatrical. Was that a conscious decision or an evolution? And Al Mm. says, "Uh, I think sometimes I went there because I see myself kind of like a tenor. And a tenor needs to hit those high notes once in a while. 
even if they're wrong. So sometimes they're way off. I love There's a couple that. of rules. There's a couple of rules, you know, the needle screeched on the record. But if you ever see a movie that I feel, oh, gee, I went too far. I just fast forward it a bit and move on. <laughs> if I had to, if I, and then he goes, uh, he laughs at that and he goes, if I had to do it again, I don't know. I might still do it that way. <laughs> I think what happens is once you do it one or two times, it becomes a signature. So, yeah, I just love that. I think that perfectly sum, that. sums up his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And I, I just love, like, you're kind of curious sometimes how self-aware actors can be when they become this kind of just, like, he's huge, right? He's just iconic. Uh, so that, that mm-hmm. just, I, I love hearing that. Well, uh, maybe pivoting towards the reductive rating round here, which for you, Rob, is where we remove all the words, all the nuance, and reduce the film between a number between one and five. But it's also become kind of like closing statements where if we didn't hit a scene or a line or anything we wanted to mention, you uh, also do it here. Sometimes we basically just keep going in the reductive rating round, but we're, we're, we're moving towards wrapping up. Um, okay. And, uh, yeah, uh, for, for me, this one uh, gets the solid, uh, four from, from me. There's, there's only really one thing holding me back about Scarface. And that's just always, every time I watch it as rewatchable as it is, like I have a blast watching this movie. I just never quite buy into, uh, some of the feelings in Oliver Stone's writing. I think that De Palma and Giorgio do a great job making it operatic and trying to hit them as hard as they can. Um, which which almost works in some of the uh, more emotional scenes in the melodrama between some of the characters. Um, but I just, for some reason, there's always something holding me back with some of these characters that at a certain point, I can tell De Palma is just kind of playfully, intentionally going monotonous with the excessiveness of the style, which is still, again, a blast to watch, really fun to watch, and it's part of his critique of the soullessness and misery um, of this eventual, like, basically sociopathic husk that's just dressed in shining colorful images of, of, of success and a portrait of like destruction. Um, and so like for, for me, the one thing is just, you know, as much as I enjoy watching this as kind of like a, uh, very technically impressive, and you know I love the '80s soundtrack by by Giorgio. The synth new wave stuff is just absolutely amazing. Um, it's it just doesn't quite activate my emotions in ways that like my favorite De Palma movies can, uh, like something like say uh, Blowout, which just absolutely destroys me or uh, what we're going to talk about next Carlito's way, which I I think is the closest he's ever gone to like full out romantically uh, uh, depiction of, of his characters. Um, And we, we've talked about De Palma before too, but even in like over stylized trash mode, which this, I guess sort of is uh, in, in a way um, because I guess it's, it's a slightly trashier version of a gangster movie, even though now it is like an iconic gangster movie. It's kind of fun to talk about it in the way that like, you know, previously gangster movies were like classy movies that won best picture. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and this, this was not that film. This film was hit with controversy. It actually didn't even make very much money when it first came out. It became a huge success um, actually on video because around 84, 85, we had the big VHS boom, I think. And so like, that's actually where it made most of its money was after its theatrical run. Which uh, you know, it, I think it made some of, most of its money back, but that was kind of it. It wasn't like a, it wasn't as big of a hit as a three-hour gangster Al Pacino movie should have been, right? Um, so, but but as far as overstylized trash mode, I definitely really like De Palma in sort of like 
perverse voyeuristic mode. Uh, whereas this, you can tell he is making an Oliver Stone film. This is he, he was hired yeah. to make an Oliver Stone film in in this way, even though he's still imposed a lot of his own stylistic quirks onto it, and definitely made a different film than Oliver Stone wanted to make. It's just you know it's we're going to talk I think next week about uh, uh, Dress to Kill, which is a movie that he wrote, yeah. and you can you you can just tell his interests like there's none of that voyeurism angle in here, which is something that he's just hugely all about. Um, but I do got to say, uh, I wrote in my review the intoxicating vision of like 1930s gangster as cartoon excess with again, as like a sweaty saturated synth opera, just genius idea. Totally, totally works. Um, I have an absolute blast watching it. Um, so even when it gets to the points where it, you know, it has to hit the story beats that it has to hit. And you know, he, at a certain point he is just going with empty stylistic flourishes because that's partially what the movie is about. I just have a yeah. lot of fun watching it. So this is probably like the fifth or sixth time I've watched it. So clearly I lo- I like this movie a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't have, I don't have too much uh, to add, but I will say that this, I think this was my fourth time watching the movie and it has always been a, a four star movie for me, but I got to say this, this, this time it's hitting the five. Uh, nice. Every, every scene worked for me on a level um, that was just so exciting and uh, and and intriguing this time because I, it's kind of like uh, it was either De Palma or or Stone that you guys were saying I think that he was they were using that critique of the emptiness and saying well that's kind of what my my movie is representing in in a sense uh, and I I just buy into it I totally buy it uh, so all the, the the kind of you know more superficial things that happen, especially in the latter half of the movie, I completely can forgive because that Tony is in such a state at that point where he's been completely uh, taken over by the greed, by the excess, uh, by his, mm-hmm. by his, uh, the, the wealth. And, um, and so when he just becomes this completely like empty manic man, I, I totally buy into it. Uh, so, so yeah, for this time it just it just ha- so happened to work for me uh, on that level, um, and once again the score is fantastic. I love the simplicity of it, but uh, it's still very powerful. Uh, I love the once again like the zoom ins with these these very sudden synth scores when he's trying to get across that that Tony's upset about something. Uh, it's just it's a beautiful movie. Um, in the sense that it's well shot, it's obviously <laughs> disgusting when it comes to the actual material, but that's a lot of fun too. And uh, mm-hmm. and I and mm-hmm. obvi- and the violence. I mean, it's we we talk about uh, how you know the modern films are always you know it's got the digital blood and all that stuff. And and when you when you have these squibs like the the Frank scene and the cop scene, or even or, or even the way that they apply the the chainsaw scene. Uh, it's just, it's very impactful. It, it really works. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. I, right. It, it's, uh, yeah, uh, it's getting the five. So Scarface finally made it there for me. Took four times, but I think I finally locked onto this film. <laughs> Hell yeah. For you, Rob. Okay. Well, so uh, this is definitely a case of, uh, it's a five in my heart. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, probably a four in general. I don't, so this movie, Listen I to first your heart. saw what. Well, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. This, uh, this movie, I first saw it when I was in fifth grade. 
and it instantly became my favorite movie of all time. Mm-hmm. It was a uh, it was a a Bobby Franco classic. I I knew every line of the movie. I would uh, adults would have me like like at like parties or events or something like my parents friend would be like hey hey Robert do do Scarface <laughs> like little 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 Bobby Franco would be like okay do you want to hear the dirty version or the clean version <laughs> uh, you practice um, both. yeah exactly well I knew, I knew it I knew it so well I had a <laughs> like a I had a Scarface calendar when I was a kid, I had a, yeah. a, a a book. I had like a little book of like uh, a Scarface quotables book. It had like every quote on it with like a still from the movie. And then on my desk, I would I had like a little slip of paper that said Tony's quote of the day, and I would put put, put a different Scarface quote every single day. Like I just awesome. this movie is. Uh, I I don't even know how many times I've seen it. It's just a disgusting amount. Um, yeah. But uh, so so in my heart, it it's a five. As I've gotten older, it's uh, my my uh, cinematic sensibilities have uh, kind of grown over time. Uh, it, it's not quite my favorite movie anymore. It's not. It's not everything I. Love in cinema. I mean, I lo- I love it very much. Uh, it's got guns. It's got cocaine. It's got titties. Uh, what more <laughs> do you need? Absolutely. Uh, but um, it's not. You know, I it it, it it's not. Uh, uh, for me, it's not perfect in that way. It's not like every. There are certain movies like uh, I'll just see and I'll just be like, all right, that's it. They they don't get better than that. <laughs> um, yeah. and Scarface is close in, in terms of emotional attachment it, it does feel disingenuous to, to say it's not perfect in that way but for some reason I can't give it the 5 anymore hmm. not like the, the next movie we're talking about which is a 5 hell yeah well I think that'll wrap it up for Scarface we're going to be right back and we're going to be talking about Carlito's Way never give up your friends Dave and there's only one rule, you save your own ass. Didn't you ever have a dream? Yeah, I had a dream, Charlie. But now I'm awake. Right, we are back, and we are talking Carlito's Way, the 1993 American crime gangster film directed by Brian De Palma, based on the novels uh, Carlito's Way and also the novel After Hours by uh, Judge Edwin Torres. Um, it was uh, adapted by uh, David Kep, who was another um, Brian De Palma. I wouldn't say he was a regular. I think the only other Brian De Palma film he actually completed was uh, Mission Impossible, I want to say, um, which came out just shortly after Carlito's Way. So I feel like after working together on that, that was what uh, made them want to work together on Mission Impossible. Um, yeah, this this film had an, an interesting 
w- once again, uh, they were making another gangster film. So it was a question of, do we want to do another gangster film? It's the 90s. Goodfellas already came out. Do we? How badly do we want to keep going back to this genre with Al Pacino? Um, but Al Pacino apparently really took to this character when he read the novels in the 70s, because I guess he knew the guy who was writing them. And he always knew he wanted to play Carlito at some point in his life because he really latched on to that character. Um, and when they approached Brian De Palma about making it, he was like, another uh, uh, <laughs> Latino gangster with Al Pacino directed by me? I don't want to do that. Until he actually read the screenplay and he was like, holy crap, this is an entirely different movie. Oh, yeah. Which, which, is, which is what makes it such a great pairing for for Scarface because it's two completely different sides of Pacino. This performance could not be more different. The overall movie could not have a different um, sensibility. And for Brian De Palma, it's a sensibility that it it does mix some of his um, interests in um, sort of like tragic figures caught in sort of like places where they're, they're kind of always being watched and trying to like maneuver their way through it so there there is a little bit of his he gets to do some of his classic hitchcockian suspense sequences like the train sequence he ends this film on um which uh he's actually done before in his career like he uh he's done stuff like that in dress to kill and and blowout and stuff like that as well i also love the uh the one scene where he does the 360 camera spin that we also saw i think in in uh blowout or whatever blowout, and it's, a, yeah. it's that scene in the club and he's he's uh talking to the other like gangster guys and and it just kind of circles their whole right right it just kind of circles their whole uh their whole conversation and it's kind of mm-hmm. got this gets- it's just this you don't and, and that's one thing i will say it's like in the the difference between Scarface and um and this movie is there's I did notice a lot more of the way that De Palma usually shoots a movie like with with his tricks like the 360 spin like more split diopters that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm Yeah, he's he's definitely like kind of like fi- figured out what his visual sensibility is by uh, I mean, yeah. he kind of figured that out honestly by the mid 80s like even after right. Scarface. Um but yeah, by the 90s you can tell he's very clearly like mastered what he wants to do. But the thing that's very different about Carlito's way and I think really makes it stand out in his canon because it's something that he never really approached doing quite the same way again, which is this is probably his most sincere film. Because as we were talking yeah. about a little bit with Scarface, um, he he likes to have a bit of like a sly irony or like a critique built into a lot of his films, especially yeah. in especially in when he follows like a voyeuristic character, like something in Blowout or something like Body Double. He likes to kind of have like an auto critique of his own camera that's capturing like a, a certain character. Carlito's Way, I would say, is the furthest he's ever come from like having a very genuinely likable maybe good like leading character that he identifies or, with yeah, yeah. on a certain way. Absolutely. So, so, so in, in, instead of like, like for example, if Scarface was like a spaghetti Western gangster picture, all like blown operatic, this is like gangster movie as uh, like a fatalistic Hollywood, like melodrama. Uh, or, right. or like, or like kind of if, if, uh, if a uh, Scarface is like, Dollars trilogy. This is like unforgiven. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely, definitely say that. And he definitely threw in like some Technicolor melodrama qualities, some noir elements. But like, this is where he, like, for example, there's a scene in this where he does 
two characters um, embracing each other and kissing each other in a full romantic swooning 360 degree shot around them. He's done this right. shot before. He did and it in Carrie, Blair. Right? He did it oh, in Carrie, okay. where which yeah. you're right too. They, he did it in Carrie during the dance, which again yeah, Carrie's feeling oh, real feelings, but we know it. as viewers that there's um, more at play here. That there is, you know, sort of like a <laughs> uh, a a plot to sort of make fun of her. So we know that there's a level right. of. I mean, when we when we did our Carrie episode, we actually talked about this explicitly, where we said her feelings are very sincere, but De Palma's lens is a little bit more ominous and ironic um, because we because know we that know. They it's coming, yeah. Yeah, that they're mm-hmm. staging this moment of genuine romance for her, well, but they're not actually feeling it. Whereas, like a little bit of same, same with blowout, where John Travolta in the final embrace with the fireworks when he's holding her, it's a very tragic moment. But De Palma can't stop himself; he has to have the like Fourth of July fireworks going off entirely in the background, creating this very romantic moment out of what is very clearly a very poisonous, um, yeah. uh, I will, you know, serial killer killing someone on the 4th of July. <laughs> I will say, uh, though, this movie does have the the opening shots, which is him, like pretty much just telling you the the ending, where it's like, this guy yes. oh, man. is... Now, I don't know if they necessarily Maybe. fully say he's going to, to die in the intro, but it's very heavily hinted that he's he's at least going to get shot in the stomach a couple times you know that so yeah yeah uh, and so there there is that like kind of vibe that i had the whole time watching it and i, I did kind of forget uh, you know halfway through because that's, so much happens that's that's so what's so good about the movies you you yeah. forget that yeah he he gets whacked at the beginning well and and, 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 and and i'll get into some of the visual vocabulary reasons i think why we yeah. forget too but yeah, I, I definitely. But I would say that though that, that that's not ironic though. That's still very sincere and genuine. That oh, absolutely. He's, he's I'm just sure. saying it sets up like that, that that there's something fatal that's going to happen. You know, you're you're still as an audience member sitting there going, this isn't going to end well. We know that. You know, and I'm just saying yeah, that, and that's I'm, very similar to the the Carrie prom scene in that regard. That right. that being said, though, even even then, even though it, it's set up like that. The opening is still uh, so full of hope. Yeah, like he he said he says that line. He goes, "Don't worry, my heart it don't ever quit." I'm right, ready to give up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That inner monologue is the key to this film too, which which is interesting because I don't. I, I mean, I, I can like the 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 whole like narrate the narrator and all that. The inner monologue. The voiceover. But sometimes over. I find it can be kind of yeah. I, sometimes I can find it be a little little corny. Uh, mm-hmm. And here and there, it has a bit of it, its its cheesy elements, but I I think it's so like you said, it's very sincere. And and then now that I know how this this movie ends, it's especially important. I mean, it's like yeah. for me, it's the whole it's the whole emotional crutch, uh, the the whole thing really. So. It's uh well yeah, and, yeah and it's it's it's, 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 it's deployed very interesting here too because it's it's very hard boiled like character narration it's like it's very specific to the person that he is but it's also very disembodied and usually you know with narration like this you have like that like uh, oh, how did I? How did I get here? But he doesn't do it that <laughs> yeah. way. You, do, you don't. You don't actually know. <laughs> can you imagine? Can oh you imagine? Carly, Carlito gets shot. <laughs> hey, so I'm Carlito. Is- you you might be wondering how I got here. Well, so am I. <laughs> yeah. Well, see, and and that that's what's so interesting because he he delivers it from a disembodied, uh, unspecified, like not really a future. Because like you you assume he's yeah. doing it from 
you know, his sort of like hospital deathbed kind of deal or like sort right. of like the stretcher that he's on. But the way that he delivers lines sometimes is he does it in the moment where he's almost implying he doesn't know what's happening next. Yeah, like he'll, sure. he'll like, 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 for example, he'll, he'll walk you through a process of a scene where he'll be like, yeah, we're going in here. I know this based on my past that this is how I'm going to kind of yeah, yeah. maneuver this scene. Um, he doesn't like say the, that like this is about to happen or something like that. Like it feels like even his narr- uh, his narration is unaware of the future, that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Like there there is this weird thing where like clearly this narration has to be coming from the future, but he doesn't deliver it that way. But at the same right. time, yeah. he he his actual sort of like voice performance in it is very mournful. So for me, it creates this vibe of something bad is like going to happen but like his character almost like fights against that until the very end yeah mm, right or or, uh, so, so, or he tries his best uh, to yeah. ignore that that might happen absolutely uh so first of all the opening credits of this movie it's maybe my favorite opening credits ever it's oh, yeah, so the, good. the the o'brien de palma film as like the gun pulls out and it's like got yeah. like this sort of like dropped frame purple discoloration on on the film yeah. except for on the, the escape on to the, paradise on... sign mm-hmm. and then and then you got the the the, the close-up of his face like gasping and mm-hmm. it's carlito's way yeah and then just I all love... these crazy camera moves slowed yeah. down like the upside, like when it um, spins and and pretty much goes like directly upside down, and then and then uh, pans over yeah. his body. Like it's just it's it's so yeah. well done. It's the technical craft but, alone but then you, is fantastic. You, but but so in in the voiceover in this movie, it's one of my favorite uses of voiceover ever. Yeah. Uh, this and like Malik voiceover, which are two <laughs> yeah. completely different. Uh, styles, but it's got the hardest opening line ever. He goes, "Somebody's pulling me close to the ground. <laughs> I can sense, but I can't see. Mm-hmm. I ain't panicked. I've been here before. It's so sick." Yeah. There's also, like, there's also something really funny about hearing the words, uh, "My Puerto Rican ass was my Puerto to Rican ass." Yeah. Coming out of Pacino's mouth, <laughs> and I love Pacino has this like. Uh, I think he adds it to the character at least. There's almost a subtle lisp to it that I really yeah. I just appreciate. Like it's just a, a subtle little character choice that he that he made, and I I absolutely love it. It almost makes him like more trustworthy, in my opinion. Like it, yeah. there's some, there's a yeah, yeah. just an innocence to it or something. Mm-hmm. Even though Gosh, it's clearly it's not. Funny. <laughs> it's funny you bring up that line. I was just uh, l- listening recently to a. Uh, a podcast that shall not be named because I don't want to get canceled, but uh, they were making fun of that particular line. Oh, that line, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and the movie as a whole, which you know bothered me, but uh, <laughs> it's com it's comedy, so I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, and I mean, there, 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 there were definitely people who weren't super stoked on El Pacino, like constantly playing like these Latino gangster characters and like doing the voice yeah. and everything like that. Well, you know and, what? And, and, and like, you know if what? movies and were made to today, them, I would say this. Yo, uh, everyone shut up. For them, <laughs> yes. uh, uh, yeah, look, well, I'll tell you this. If I can get, o- get over Sean Penn being the, the greedy Jew lawyer, <laughs> then, then, Al Pacino being a cool Puerto Rican gangster, that should be fine. 
it is true that Sean Penn, which who the by, by the way is amazing in this film, and he's to my opinion, I've only ever really loved him in Brian De Palma films because Brian De Palma always has him play the skeeziest, most despicable yeah. people on the fucking planet. Like we talked right, about like casualties, casualties of war on the of show. War. Yeah, yeah, and he I is also, just. I was gonna. He's I just fucking love, downright uh, evil in that film. <laughs> Yeah, and I love this movie, uh, especially his performance, because it's it's a, at least more subtle. Like, he has some moments where he gets to kind of go crazy, like the crowbar scene and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. a, a lot oh, of God, it, yeah. it's, it's nice to see Sean Penn playing someone that seems like a genuine, not a, like a good person, but just an actual human being rather than like, like the Casualties of War guy. Although I love the performance, it's so like, you know, he's got this like, crazy accent going on from Boston or New York and it's very very thick to the point where it's kind of cartoonish uh, oh, yeah, and, and, well, and, he, and he has to play like the macho alpha that like right. you know, peer pressures them all into committing a, uh, a, a sex war crime basically right and this one he's just kind of like a, a sneaky you know lawyer that that that's screwing everybody over uh, mm-hmm. and but, 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 like he, but Carlito likes him. So when we get introduced to him early on, he's kind of just like fun to hang out with sort of, but yeah, like, he's, yeah. he's definitely like, like, like a dork basically. And Carlito's like his cool friend, uh, yeah. <laughs> like the, like the actual gangster friend who got him gangster clients. And over the course of the film, we are revealed that actually, um, uh, Sean Penn's lawyer character is more involved in the gangster element since he's been introduced and since Pacino has been locked up for five years because that's Carlito's character is that he just got a 40-year sentence reduced to a five-year sentence based on it's so hilarious it's based on a technicality based of the investigation like it wasn't actually that he wasn't guilty it was that they <laughs> yeah. they investigated they, they, him they improperly illegally, yeah yeah and and I love when he's giving that speech in the courtroom and the judge is like, you're not accepting an award, man. Like, fucking sit down. The judge who is, who is Paul Mazursky. <laughs> yes. No, um, yeah, that, wait, oh, really quick, that scene. He, he, he really, that is so good. He says some of the most ridiculous things when he talks about his mother. And he goes, but I learned about women from her. And it's like, are you about to talk about pussy, like, in, in the court right now, Curly? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the, 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 the judge and the prosecutors so are like rolling their eyes. They're like, oh my God, this dude is getting off into technicality and he's performing like an Oscar awards acceptance speech. <laughs> it's, it's so good. And That's I love when thing. he goes, I, I've been, I've been rehabilitated, reinvigorated, reassimilated, <laughs> and soon to be relocated. <laughs> oh my God. It's so, oh, it's classic, classic Pacino. And something I also kind of appreciate is how complicated you you have to feel because he's such a likable character like he's so just mm-hmm. you know he's charismatic he's 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 fun uh he's loud uh and and of course al Pacino's very good at that but we know that this guy has a really dark past and and we know that he's most likely killed a bunch of people uh mm-hmm. in probably pretty horrendous ways and yet you you care and i mean i think there's a bit of a like we we don't necessarily see him until m- near the end really we we don't necessarily see him do those things so maybe it kind of helps us just get over them right away uh but i mm. find it interesting that that the movie really is about kind of caring about this guy's journey uh, well because and- 
it's worth noting, we should say, that, like, in comparison to Scarface, like, he is less overtly sociopathic in this film. He actually has a lot yes. of feelings, and he, he eventually does give his speech about the people he's killed, because this is actually an important part of the film, where um, his old fling, Gail, who is a uh, ballet dancer slash wannabe Broadway star, who is actually, um, like, like stripping a stripper. Now, because, th- because this is a movie a little bit about, like, accepting realities, and, like, you, you pursuing, yeah. like, these kind of warm dreams and having to accept, like, the real world that you actually live in so that's one way that she does and one way that he does too because clearly he doesn't want to be a killer he doesn't try actively to murder anyone in this film in fact he's actually clearly quite weary about and upset about the killings he's been made to do um he actively he, avoids he's, killing he's, yeah. people in this movie he spares uh benny blanco from the bronx uh right. very intentionally um and also when he talks to gail about the few killings because she's clearly She's like, you know, have you killed people? I, th- I think that you have. And he talks very regretfully and says, the few killings I've ever done, they've never been like executions. They've always been, you know, you grow up on the streets, you live to survive, and one day you run into a situation where the other guy's got a gun, and you never let that happen to you again. You have a gun next time. And he's like, from then on, if I ever got into a situation where someone wanted to kill me, you know, I shot my way out. But he was like, yeah. He, but the way he talks so about it, it's, it's, it's a very unfortunate. Is essentially, his his argument. Yeah, and he and he describes it though in in Al Pacino's performance, like as a very mournfully unfortunate thing that he has done and wishes that he did. Yeah, it, it was me. It was me or them, kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it's 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 very different than like actively choosing Scarface, where he's like yeah. he's gonna do cocaine and destroy an army. Yeah, so it's it's, um, it's a very different style of character, which is how I think that De Palma is able to get more sort of like romantically involved in the story. Because even yeah. like the moments where he's given the opportunity to be a brash asshole, like in the scene where he finds her stripping and he's kind of like a little weirded out dude, by that. He's a feminist king who supports his sex worker girlfriend. Absolutely. Yeah, and he, he, he even like she says, like, you're judging me right now. And he says, I'm not judging you right now. Actually, the fact that we're having this fight over this it's entirely my fault i shouldn't have done this like he immediately apologizes and he even said he goes i apologize <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. um so like like there's there's a lot of scenes in this where you know you know he he clearly has done some bad things in the past but it was very clearly his his hand was forced or it was dictated by his own environment and he hates himself that he's done it and his only plan for this whole movie is how the fuck to get out of this how to get out of this yeah. inescapable and, and, and it's a genuine crime. it's a genuine it, it, he's genuinely intending to get out it's not like bullshit statement like he desperately wants to get out he doesn't want to be in this life yeah he almost uh, does even <laughs> yeah he, he was very close but uh uh and even the that, moment where it, line, like it tur- go ahead sorry oh uh well the the scene where uh the the classic billiard scene where he does end up having to to kill people i think it might be uh no no in the end you see him kill people but it's one of the only times you actually see him murder people is right. in the the billiard scene and then and then uh he throws out the gun and you hear the voiceover he goes i don't invite this shit it just comes to me i run <laughs> it runs after me gotta be somewhere to hide yeah well and i, I gotta say that uh billiard scene is oh, uh, one of the best pieces of directing in brian de palma's entire career that glass that is, is, is election me. shot is unreal god 
Yeah, it, it, that's that God scene level. just like absolutely blows me away almost every single time that I watch it's so it. Good. And, and and it's a perfect instruction piece for kind of like how to watch the movie at the same time because um, this is where we get into De Palma's interest in, in pure cinema, the Hitchcock idea of pure cinema, where your story isn't told in writing, it's told entirely in perspective and POV of sort of how your camera replicates the psychology of a character. And there is no greater scene in this movie that does that than, than this one, where uh, he just wants to go home, and his cousin is taking him to a deal where they are going to, you know, pick up some quick money. And he's like, look, they're friends. I know these guys. Nothing wrong is going to happen. He doesn't want to go because he's like, something wrong is going to happen. It's happened to be a lot. I'm older than you. I've seen this before. I just don't trust it. And the way it gets you into his paranoia of that scene, which is totally founded uh, because obviously what ends up happening in the, in the actual scene. But the way that his camera moves going from like steady cam shots to overhead shots um, to different close-ups that are clearly from Pacino's eyes point of view, like where he looks at the uh, red door that has the shining like Spielberg white light coming out of it. And he's like, something's in that bathroom. I know that there's something in there. But um, not only that though, is Al Pacino isn't completely powerless against it. You can just see that he's like, okay, these guys have set up this space because they plan on doing something bad and I can feel it. And mm-hmm. the thing that's so expert about the way the scene is done and the way it captures Carlito's character is how he decides then to like a director, take control of the room and yeah. the way that he uses, you know, I'm going to do this trick shot. He starts like placing people in different spots to prepare for yeah, something yeah. bad to happen. And the way that you watch De Palma, basically in his textbook way of like using expertly precise camera moves to, you know, maneuver through a space. And then Al Pacino as a character trying to maneuver his way through that space to take control of it. Um, because that's, you know, just something he does that is skilled. And it's really thrilling to watch Al Pacino. You can literally like feel his thoughts coming out of his brain. He doesn't even need narration in this scene, but I feel like you can hear the narration of like, holy shit, someone's coming out of there. So I need to get behind that. I need to place him here. Um, And if I use my charisma to... So you basically watch him plot how he's going to counter this assassination attempt or actual, I guess, full-out assassination that they do pull. But you get to watch him also play the room at the same time and put on a performance for them. There's a a shot in here that brings to mind uh, another one of Dino's greatest acting moments ever uh the 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 shot there's a close-up of pacino when he's like setting up the pool and you can see his eyes they're kind of moving and it totally is reminiscent of godfather part one where he's gonna whack uh salazzo and mccluskey and Mm -hmm. you just hear the train and you just see his eyes just moving back and forth he's trying to think okay i gotta kill these guys when am i gonna do it am i gonna do it i'm gonna do it now 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 boom (laughs) Uh, it's kind of the same yeah. uh, acting moment that, that I'm just now realizing. I never really thought of it, about it that way. Um, in that scene, there's one cut I really love uh, is to the the main dealer, uh, the guy with the hat, yeah, uh, who's <laughs> counting the money, and and he goes the the song changes on on the radio. And he goes, turn it up. I love that song. And he's like dancing while counting the money. 
That yeah. cut is so good, and he's like slapping the money to the beat. Yep, it's yeah. so good. And, and and it can't be overstated, like how many different camera tricks he uses in this scene, like switching from like dolly and steady cam shots that move from space to space as Al Pacino is like. Uh, gauging what he's going to do, but then there's also split diopters, which obviously capture the sense of paranoia as he's standing still in one spot, but clearly has his attention focused on the guys in the back. Um, Jamie mentioned the reflection in the sunglasses uh, as the dude comes out of the bathroom with the knife so that he could see when the guy was coming out with the knife, but also he could position himself so that he could very quickly dispatch the two guys at the pool table and make his way over there, hopefully in time, which he doesn't, but he shoots the pool cue or the pu- the pool ball at the dude's face, knocking him out. Then he takes the pool cue and bashes it over the other guy's head as the dude pulls out with the knife, but then quickly cuts over. He wasn't fast enough. The dude with the, the knife um, cuts John Ortiz's uh, throat, um, and then they engage in a gunfight. He pulls a gun off one of the one of the bodies. And the shot of them shooting each other is two reverse shot panning dolly shots as they like mm. basically do like an anime like circle around each other, firing Matrix at each other. Esque. Yeah, as yeah. he as he makes his way over to the bathroom where he is then consumed by the giant white light he was terrified of before, from which it goes from the bright blood red room where there was just a total bloodbath to where he gets a second to himself and it's an overhead shot in the white bathroom, which he feels exposed in. So he turns the lights off and he sits in there in basically like completely silhouetted. This is just one of the most beautiful and, and, sequences. And he has, the, he has no bullets, but, but yes. the important thing is he's so smart. He knows uh, I'll just pretend like I have a loaded gun. Yeah. yeah and, and, and he's yeah, yelling he at them. He's like, I will come out. I will get you. Yeah. yeah, and it's it, it's just a perfect way of expressing like clearly what he's done all of his life, which is survive these situations and, yeah. and, and, and be good at it, but clearly be completely exhausted by it. Because after the scene is done, uh, I think he has a line where he's like, there ain't no friends in this shit uh, yeah. business. And he's clearly, again, weary. And like the way that the, the filmmaking is done where it's so like thrilling, I think... Um, Kathleen Murphy in film comment writing about this scene um, said that uh, Pacino is instantly attuned to the fatal dynamics built into the mise-en-scene of the scene. So it's exhilarating. Like watching, you watch Pacino like Picasso paint on glass, that you see his expertise Mm. and grace as he begins to stage his own scene, anticipating all of the vectors and double crosses and roles and killers and how it's all going to play out around him and subvert it. And so, like, that's really thrilling to watch. But when the scene is done, you're like, holy fuck, I understand why you would get tired of doing that over and over and over again, which is stuff that he does throughout the film. And I think there's something to be said about even, like, Al Pacino playing a character like this, where he's, like, you know, he's, he's... you know, very iconic for doing these, these gangster picks. And so to him, for him to do this, this more, uh, this more late in the game gangster, uh, mm-hmm. and, and himself being older, I feel like that just would probably, it'd probably be much easier for him to kind of lock into that exhaustion where it's just kind of like, you know, he's, he's had to understand these characters for decades now. And, and this one is kind of that, that final stamp where, where it's just saying, you know, it, I'm too fucking tired for this shit anymore. I don't, I don't want to, I can't, I can't go on like this. This is just yeah, absolutely honestly, insane. A, a, a good example would be sort of like Pulp Fiction versus Jackie Brown. Mm. Yeah. 
Like it's like it's like the I'm way too old for this ship. This is exhausting. And I think the genius of this film is that right. the film I, I find the film exhausting in its own way because those scenes are so fucking intense and De Palma is so good at suspense and 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 ramping it up and going crazy. And then to you know come back down to earth with his character who's like god i wish i could just live a life where i didn't have to like be on my guard all the time thinking that a giant you know massacre is going to happen around me and i have to find the angles to get out and that's actually a line he gets later too when he says when you stop seeing the angles you're in trouble baby or something like that yeah. because his yeah, character is says, always looking for the says, angles yeah he goes he goes you get old enough you can remember a reason why everybody wants to whack you. Yeah. You believe them all. But you know somebody's got to be lying. Or maybe they're all lying. And he goes, can't see the angles no more. You in trouble, baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like so, some great lines where he really does capture through his character, like the things that he's he's really feeling in that time. Like too, when, when he goes out to kill... Um, Benny Blanco in the in the back alley, which is like something he's like clearly he's been a part of Oof. before, but because he's like you know when when someone disrespects someone else, and you know clearly it's a show of like you don't have power anymore. It's sort of a necessity, See? and and then and then he goes uh, the the streets are always watching, and the second someone hears that you're weak, they are gonna come for you, and so he immediately is like I I can't do this anymore. It can't be like the good old days. I I don't want to do this. <laughs> See to me too. I, I love what I, I just I just love when he goes, Carlito, he's flaky man, slacked out. <laughs> yeah, Luis Guzman. Luis Guzman. Guy. I love Luis Guzman. Yeah, and then yeah, you hear Luis Guzman. Come on, puppy, let me do it. Be fun, puppy. Be fun. Be fun. <laughs> yeah. The and the thing is about that scene though, because I was we were speaking on like his his past. I think that mm. was the scene where I kind of got the vibe that not everything he did was out of true self-defense. I mean, if you can mm-hmm. if you can sit there and be like, "All right, let's just get rid of this guy like the old days." Clearly, there was a couple moments where he was just like, "This guy's in my way." So, he's got to get taken out. And well, it's not necessarily I, I, a self-defense thing. That's- well, you know what though? You know what though? I mean, <laughs> in I based on how that play, plays out, uh, you probably should have killed him. Well, yeah, no, yeah, <laughs> which, that which, was something which else. Which leads me to believe, which leads me to believe, he was probably right to kill all those guys in the past. <laughs> hey, well, yeah, and, and maybe, and, and, and well, and also, I would also make clear that he never actually says that he killed those people. He's I just know, like this. He was. He was like this is a thing. That happens is there any other in, time in the that streets. punk would die, but I can't do that shit. I'm just no saying it seems like it's happened to all of them, and I, I would be surprised <laughs> to find out that that Carlito didn't partake in one or two of those moments. That's all I'm saying. Sure, I, still I mean love he was Carlito. He was, he, was <laughs> he, he, he he was definitely present, but I feel like he was like yeah the, the machinations <laughs> of you know the uh, industry that we are in clearly is that you know the rules would go that that guy would die but it wasn't yeah. like he was about to shoot him either it was like Luis Guzman was going to shoot him <laughs> right and it is his is l- and like you said it's his ultimate demise uh, at the end uh, so I yeah. mean in a, in a sense I get it I just feel like there, there's it, it's a little more complicated than his like self-defense uh, argument that's right, all i'm saying right but 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 i also feel like his feelings are about it are a really important thing to absolutely like enter into your analysis of it because like absolutely like like, like like scarface he doesn't really seem to have more there's no remorse or regrets about yeah. like what he's done right it's like absolutely. this is like i mean uh 
the whole vibe of this movie is how sad he is and like the fact that he can go from a scene that's like so thrilling like that that uh that that massacre that happens in the bar to, to then go to like a scene in the streets where he's following gail around and like the music is like more orchestral and beautiful and the uh colors and stuff they're like these really deep blues of like new york city that kind of almost make it look like it's like a west side story set or something like that yeah yeah and and like it does kind of look like that yeah so and like you know like that shot of him like spying in on her with like the garbage can over his <laughs> that's classic like that. <laughs> Yeah, so like there's there's something just very much more romantic and sweet and and still melodramatic about this character, despite the fact oh, that yeah. this crime world keeps following him around and he can't seem but, uh, to escape. But also like, it, yeah. But if we're talking about like the the moralism of of uh, Carlito, like yeah, he he's he's done some shit. But if we're if we're being realistic, probably all the people he whacked weren't the best. Absolutely, yeah, like it wasn't like he he was whacking women and children, you know, or like <laughs> right. or people or just people uninvolved in the life. Like one in, one, in, one, in, one in the words, what? I was gonna say one detail I really like is how much he doesn't he tries to avoid killing in this film. And yeah, one yeah. way one way he gets around doing that to kill someone he's actually upset about is pulling Sean Penn's uh, bullets from his gun. Yeah, that's the best. Which is like a really hilarious, and he's and like also, adios, counselor. <laughs> and yeah, that, that but, was that's amazing. But also speaking, of, this is just briefly going back to Scarface for like just five seconds because you mentioned the uh, the the wife and or the the women and children thing. The women I will and children. say, yeah, yeah. Mo- Tony Montana actually did have a line that we didn't mention, which was he yeah. wouldn't kill the women he, he and goes, children. He, I was he, like, he goes, oh, all right, he goes, he's got some something goes, there. <laughs> yeah, he says he says, "Well, you think I killed two kids and a woman?" <laughs> but um yeah that, that was anyway, that um, one thing we didn't bring up because one thing i think is really hilariously over the top in that scene is the kids playing patty cake in the backseat of the car as he's stealing oh, yeah. them <laughs> it's fucking great yeah it is great oh, anyway. um, but so back to to carlito yeah so yeah he's killed people but in the words of the great tony soprano uh we're we're in a, a a business where everybody involved knows the stakes. If you're gonna accept right, those right. stakes, you gotta do certain things. So I mean, but um, back to Benny Blanco. Uh, I just want to talk about John Leguizamo really quick because mm-hmm. he's got he has two of the greatest, most classic John Leguizamo line reads ever in this movie. And it's the first time when um when he goes to Carlito's club and uh, they talk for the first time and he's trying to not pay for, for the bill. Um, and, and Carlito tells him, no, well, this is, this is my place now. Uh, you come and you pay. Everybody pays. And uh, John, John Leguizamo says to his friend, he goes, yeah, yeah, okay, what's the matter with you? Pay the goddamn check, bitch. To his friend, <laughs> and, then, and 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 then it's immediately followed by an even better line read because his friend tries to pay Carlito, and Carlito goes to the waiter, and then you hear John Leguizamo go to the waiter, you fucking dumb fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I just had, I had to bring that up because I just I, I love that so much. The fucking waiter, you fucking dumb fuck. Yeah, I, I, I do really oh, yeah. like, especially in the writing, which from what I understand came a lot from the novels, that this, these are pretty faithful adaptations of the first two novels that this guy wrote, but how how it switches so clearly from kind of like this sort of like 
uh, hard-boiled, like, noir street talk, almost, that they do. And then, but then yeah. moves into very, like, in in the filmmaking especially, like, the very sort of, like, romantic gestures of the actual feelings that the characters are, are going through, or at least that Carlito sure. is going through. Um, because like the fact that you can have a scene like that, which is just like fun gangster talk shit. Mm. And then you, and then you immediately go to like a scene where he um, takes Gail out to like the diner. And you can just see that like he has opened up like so many old feelings and, and, and wounds um, with her. And yeah. he is like talking very openly about his feelings to her. And she oh, says, Oh man, and he says, never, she says, you never talked like this before. And he says, I never felt like this, never felt like before. this before. Yeah. Yeah. And he's talking about how, you know, he's uh, running out of steam. You can't sprint all the way. You gotta I'm, stop I'm glad, I'm glad you, you, you brought up that the, the key line of the whole movie is in that scene. He goes, you don't get reformed. You just run out of wind. Yes. Right. Right. You just get tired. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Something that's, I think, really awesome about his character, too. And it, it, there's like a strategic element to him because when he's interacting with certain people like like Benny, for instance, he kind of he can turn on that 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 street talk and, the, and that kind of gangster vibe and all that. But then we have the inner monologue and we have the scenes with uh, with his with his uh, with his girlfriend and. And then you you can see that this guy is actually very intelligent, wealthy. Like he he thinks about a lot. He's he's well spoken, uh, but he's able to kind of channel that that animal when he needs to. And I and I mm-hmm. I really loved seeing that back and forth as Pacino's performance goes on. Yeah, but but, but that's what makes it like a really complex portrait is because like yeah. a lot of the stuff that you can tell that he's doing on the surface and the way that people talk about oh the great Carlito he worked for him pushing smack he did such a great job yeah. like that that image that everyone has of him is so different from his interior life which this whole right. movie is an expression of both in De Palma's filmmaking and in the narration that he gets and and Pacino's like really moving performance that he gets um so i so like the whiplash between those two universes is like the sort of like dramatic crux of this film it is what really like the the contradictions that break and how hard he tries to like make them fit into each other or at least escape them in in you know some sort of capacity which is what really like activates me like emotionally about this film i get really involved with carlito and a lot of like like when he um when it's revealed very tragically to Gale that he is going to help uh, Sean Penn break the dude out of um, Rikers, he's going to help break out an Italian mobster, and it's like it's one mm-hmm. last thing I got to do because I owe Sean Penn because Sean Penn got me, you know, uh, got me off of um, my my sentence. Like technically, I didn't have a future, and my future that I'm planning, all these dreams that I have of escaping to the Bahamas and going with the woman that I love, and you know, maybe helping her get her career in dancing and like, you know, so he's having all these really romantic ideas. And the only reason he's capable of them is because Sean Penn helped him get out. So he feels like he owes him. But the line that he gets where she's just like, you don't have to help him. The fact that you think that you have to help him is what is going to, that's why none of you guys ever get out. Yeah. And, and, and to be fair, like she's, she's really not wrong, but I, and I, I can't remember the exact line that he says, but it, it almost makes me cry every time he says it, especially, I think it's partially just like Pacino's um, performance of it. But do you know the one that I'm talking about where he says like, yeah, yeah. He goes, he goes, Dave is, is my friend. I owe him. And he goes, I can't change that. 
Yeah, yeah. She says, uh, th- that's who I am. Yeah, that's yeah. what I am, right or uh, yeah, wrong. Because, be, because yeah. he knows that she's right, that he is making probably yeah. a bad call. Um, but he's like, I, th- unfortunately, like yeah, my real my feelings is, you know, he's my friend and mm-hmm. I have to help him and I owe him. And, you know, I would expect... I would hope that I've built relationships where people also do the same for me and I can't betray uh, that. Yeah. So like, uh, and the way that he delivers that where he says, I can't change that because you can tell that he wants to, that if he could in a second, he would be like, let's just go. I don't have to fuck yeah. him, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, also, at, and also at that point too, though, he doesn't know exactly what Sean Penn has planned because he would have said no, if he knew what Sean Penn had planned, which is that Sean Penn is actually going to execute uh, the dude that he's breaking Tony out, T. Who, who, yeah, who is Tony T, who is pressuring him to get him out because he gave him a million dollars. He screwed him. Yeah, and yeah. and uh, the way that Sean Penn tells Al Pacino about it earlier in the film, it's like, oh no, I gave him that money and someone else stole it. And then Pacino mm-hmm. realizes you fucking you fucking stole that money, didn't you? Like you actually pushed him over. And I, I like that thing says where he's just like, you're not a lawyer anymore. You're a gangster. You're now. a gangster. Yeah, and you, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. That crowbar. And, uh, he goes. Hit. You can't. Oh he goes. God. He goes. You can't learn about it in school, and you can't. And, and, that, and that whole start. boat scene with the Dutch angle as they get on the boat, and then the the like completely like overblown yeah. blue color as they're riding out. Yeah. And yeah. Sean Penn taking that crowbar and smashing Tony T's skull in, and like doing it like while also like taunting him, like basically oh, just totally, going like yeah. full out psychopath. Well, he 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 repeats a line Tony T says back to him. He says earlier to him in the movie about being underwater with the the all the critters like crawling in your skull or something like that mm-hmm. right uh which by the way one thing i have to mention about sean penn's performance here which uh he apparently shaved his head to make it look like he had a receding hairline and got a oh. full perm because he just wanted to go full uh jewish lawyer which is <laughs> really fucking hilarious it's basically as cartoony of a jewish lawyer performance uh, as rob pointed out as uh yeah as yeah, again uh, Pacino playing, again if uh, me uh, if me as a jew can can be okay with sean penn <laughs> just being the most grotesque greedy awful jew lawyer i think <laughs> I think uh, Pacino as like a cool Pacino. Puerto Rican. I think I I don't know. I think I I would love to have him repping. <laughs> yeah, you you'd, pro- you'd probably um, rather have Pacino than uh, than Sean Penn in this one, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, no, it'll, it'll, oh yeah, <laughs> Pacino as an old Jew. I love that. But um, any, any, yeah, but, anyway. Um, but, but, but one thing I wanted to say about his yeah. performance, though, that's really fucking funny. You'll, you might like this a lot, Rob. Um, <laughs> I, someone, someone, one of our uh, Twitter followers sent this to us, and I, I, I don't remember the at right now, so sorry I can't. Uh, but they, they shared it under the tweets. If you look it up, they'll see. But they pointed this out to me, and I went and researched it, and it's fucking true. <laughs> so, uh, watching this movie, Alan Dershowitz thought that the film <laughs> was depicting him. Uh, in the Sean oh, Penn role, which is the biggest <laughs> so self-owned awesome. I've ever Projection. fucking heard. And yeah, so he is like obviously a, a Harvard lawyer guy. And That's fucking def- hilarious. And, and and he is the defense team for Trump, Weinstein, Epstein, who is his personal friend. All right the great now. guys you can of find, the world. Yeah, you, you can find all of his tweets right now where all he's tweeting about is how, look, when I was on Pedophile Island, I didn't do anything bad okay i never took off my wife i was with my wife yeah i don't even like massages 
But but he thought it was him so bad that he actually threatened De Palma and Sean Penn with a defamation lawsuit. That's incredible. Wow. That's that's hilarious. such a so, so and I can't even believe it. Well, yeah, I was like, imagine watching this movie, watching Sean Penn's character, the most, that's me. And, and, and being like, that's me, baby. <laughs> How dare you take my awesome personality away from me here and steal yeah, it. Just one of the funniest details. I, that's that hilarious. That's really, had. that's really and, good. And oh, what, just, love, what a uh, scummy fucking role. Speaking of Sean Penn, I just love the scene where the guy's fucking getting a hand job like in the middle of the yeah. party in front of everyone. He's just <laughs> he like, goes, look, man. He goes, you want to fuck her? Like, go fuck her, her in the bedroom like a normal person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so good. Also, I wanted to mention, we were talking about kind of the whole, uh, the romance aspect of this film. And I really mm-hmm. liked yeah. the uh, Gail and uh, and Carlito's dynamic, like that that great scene where they're uh, talking in between the door and and the, the yes. chain is there. And Gail pretty much has this, I guess, thing where obviously she wants him to to move on and 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 you know, well, be, girls but, like but that they still like the gangster. They, they, right, exactly, and I and I love that she has like has him literally have to break through the chain of the door in order for them to like have their have their moment, uh, because it just speaks volumes to what you know. She, obviously, she wants him, but there's still a little bit of that, that you know, bad boy. That, he's a, that she he's loves. a bad boy. Yeah, no, yeah. It, it, it's yeah. like in uh, Goodfellas. It, it's like in Goodfellas when uh, when Karen is like. Uh, when when she saw, sees uh, Henry Hill beat the fuck out of that, right. that guy, and, and you hear her voiceover, and she's like, "I found it very attractive." <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, exactly. <laughs> no, wait. One of my favorite Gale and Carlito scenes is um, when when they're at the Copacabana, and she's dancing with that Italian guy, and uh, and Carl, you just hear Al in the background like cheering her on. Like he's watching oh, yeah. this guy great- like centrally dance with his girl, and he's like, "Yes, okay, <laughs> wow, <laughs> whoa!" Look at that. Yeah, and then Sean and- Penn's like all coked up, and he's freaking out. And he's like, "You're just gonna let him do that?" His hands all over her ass, and he's like, "I believe those are hips." <laughs> and he goes, what? It, he, and then and then and then he goes, he goes, he goes, he, he goes, "You're just gonna let that happen?" And he goes, "What?" He goes. He goes. They're just dancing. You don't appreciate that. That the 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 rhythm, the movement. <laughs> Honestly, one of the best scenes in the entire movie, and especially oh, because again, so good. It, it plays into his character of he's like he's too tired and and old to be able to do those dance moves with her. So he just well, appreciates the, that she's happy and can do them and respect. But it's them. also he's yeah. he's confident enough. He's confident enough in knowing. Like she ain't she ain't gonna fuck around on him. Like he yeah. like he's he's Carlito, that cool baby. that he'll he'll he's that cool that he'll let a guy fucking dance with his girl because he'll <laughs> yeah. he'll he'll wreck him if anything happens. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That is yeah. that's he hard. That's how you like there Yeah. Um uh and then and then you have uh, <laughs> Sean Penn just calling the guys Italian slurs. He goes, Hey spaghetti <laughs> dick. <laughs> uh, speaking of, it's uh, like the scene in The Irishman when Pacino just goes, "You motherfucking wop cocksucker." <laughs> yeah. His delivery on that too. He like elongates yeah. the word "wop," like just makes it like four O's yeah. when he it's, says it. It's, it's just so over yeah, the you top. You wop cocksucker. <laughs> it's so good. So good. Oh um, my god. 
Oh, oh, an interesting Sean Penn. Italians got some trouble. Yeah, well, uh, they can get over it. It, That's fine. Um... (laughs) People confuse oh. me for Italian all the time, so it's I get a pass. Well, hey, my, um, my, uh, my my girlfriend actually has has a rule about this, uh, which is oh that, yeah, oh uh, Jews and Italians, it's interchangeable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was a, that was yeah, that's yeah. exactly her thing. She's just like, yeah, no. Every time an Italian American man plays Jew, it's totally cool. Anytime we play an Italian, we love it. So, we're well, just I whatever. would say I would say probably anyone can play an Italian, <laughs> but <laughs> like it's if you. But uh, anyway, um, <laughs> the interesting thing about Sean Penn in this movie, because you know how Sean Penn now fancies himself a writer? And yeah. is like, I've quit He's acting. He's just a lot of pretentious I just, dick. I just write my books. In a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but, but he, he, he made like a big statement recently about how he quit acting and now he's just gonna write books about uh, Bob Honey who just do stuff or whatever the fuck that book's called. Um, there's an interview with uh, De Palma from when this movie came out and he's talking about Sean Penn and about how Sean is going to quit acting to be a writer. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah, so and it's like this? Sean Penn has been one. It's like from '93, and, and oh, he's like, shit. he's like, he's like, yeah, sh- he's like, yeah. Sean doesn't really like acting anymore. He does. He wants to to write books, but uh, yeah. So like, this might be Sean's last movie. It's like, wow. So Sean Penn has been doing that. I've quit acting thing for years. decades. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious. That's so funny. Um, yeah, I can anyway. imagine him on set talking to like everyone in the cast. He's like, "Yeah, this is probably my last movie. I'm going to become a writer after this." Then he goes on to yeah. do like Mystic River and Milk and all that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, I hate uh, real last shout out to Sean Penn for being one of the last few people that still smoke on talk shows. Respect. <laughs> yeah, mad respect. <laughs> mad respect. Uh, yeah, I also he's, love, he's just such a good scumbag, just in general. Every time he plays yeah. one, I'm just like, it's so believable. <laughs> he's so good at it. Uh, also, I loved uh, Vigo Mortensen's scene. That was awesome. Yes. He's got this, like... Marlene. Uh, I, can't, I can't remember the accent that he's hold. doing, but it's very strong, yeah. and I love I love yeah, seeing no, it's, it. Yeah, no, it's... Oh, Carlito! I I can't hop. I got I got, I'm in a wheelchair, Carlito. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, and that and that that scene. Is I'm wearing so fucking sad. diapers. I'm that, wearing that, diapers. It is. Yeah, that it's scene one is so those... sad too, just because like you know he you he gets told earlier in the film that he's doing you know 30 years. He'll probably won't see him again. All of a sudden, yeah. he's back in his club right after Pacino's like, "Here's me as Humphrey Bogart in the club right now." <laughs> And yeah. then uh, Viggo Mortensen greets him and they start talking. He realizes he has a wire, pulls the wire off. And briefly, it's the first one time in this film we see Al Pacino like incredibly furious because he's been betrayed by someone yeah. who thought was a friend. Um, and immediately. Um, well, yeah, well, because, yeah, Vigo immediately like starts explaining he's like dude what are my options like this was my angle and like pacino completely understands that like you know someone people do what they do to survive and this was what he was doing and and he just feels so 
bad for him in that situation, which is so different than when Luis Guzman walks in two seconds later and he's like, what the fuck's going on? And Al Pacino shows him the wire and he pulls out the gun in the club right away. Like he's going to like point blank execute a a man in a wheelchair right in front of him. Whereas like Al Pacino. You know, what's a really interesting thing about that scene that I'm now realizing it's one of the most, uh, Blob, it, 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 it's, it's a moment where you see why Carlito will never get out. Because intellectually, yeah. uh, he is shown that he knows he knows this life is, is not the one you need to live. He knows that these people aren't your friends. He knows that everyone... He, he says to his dead cousin's body that there are no friends in this mm-hmm. shit business. But then, yeah. Yeah. Um, come Laleen, he he tells him, how could you fuck over the only people that ever cared for you? Mm-hmm. And that shows why he'll he'll never truly be out because there's still a part in his brain that's like, no matter how aware I am, uh, th- these are the people that care for me. This is the lifestyle. Well, and of, and he'll he just always cares have about that gangster mentality. He he yeah. he himself almost that is captured in the filmmaking has a romanticism about the people in his life that he cares about, right? Yeah. And it's just there are people, you know, like maybe say Benny Blanco from the Bronx, who he envisions as a younger version of him and who he maybe used to be, doesn't have that. Um, no, he doesn't obviously. envision Benny Blanco like him though. Well, Benny no, he yeah, was not, or, or 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 I guess let's say other people envision him. That he's yeah, literally yeah, yeah. introduced as he's a younger you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but I yeah, Al Pacino is like definitely when he hears that, uh, like when he ki- eventually kicks him out of the club and pushes him down the stairs, and that amazing altercation where he has like so half good. of his face is like blood red and the other half is like naturally lit. Um, yeah, like the two sides of Carlito in this situation of like the, you know, he should be. Maybe uh, the, the red side would be the side that would take him out back and execute right then and there kind of deal, but he's not who he is anymore. Um, mm, which right. all leads us to like the big final set piece, which uh, is also one of, in my opinion, De Palma's finest set pieces, because the last 20 minutes is literally just a chase scene after he has gotten Sean Penn uh, his comeuppance because he... he got into the hospital and left him a gun then took the bullets out but that slow-mo shot where he drops the bullets in the garbage and says adios counselor as the italian uh hitmen come in and just absolutely shoot sean penn like right through the head and there's like chunks on the walls behind him and stuff it's and it's just so much more badass than just popping him in the hospital like to take the bullets and just get that awesome slow-mo shot of him throwing them into the garbage can. It's just so the, the yeah. style <laughs> it's like, well, and, oh my and God. It, it once again reveals Carlito's way of like, again, maneuvering the space, being able to control right. the surroundings to, to put things into place. Yeah. And, and, and it's so funny because this is every time I've watched an interview with De Palma talking about his style, because he's, he's very, um, we'll say, uh, he's very he holds his cards close to his chest with like how he conceives his set pieces he never likes to like reveal that to people in interviews he does but one thing he always talks about is space and geography and how um, every small detail that he ever focuses on is something he's thought about a lot because he views an entire space as like a chessboard and things that move around and okay, how yeah. to you know um, 
how you choose directing to him is how you choose to move those pieces and move the camera around them. And what's so interesting is that that is the exact mindset that Carlito has about these situations. His idea isn't, yeah, yeah I'm going to go in with a gun and pop Sean Penn. How is it that I, I can get the hitmen to kill Sean Penn and make sure that Sean Penn can't survive it? And, you know, again, the way that he strategizes in that way is like a huge way that the sort of De Palma's sensibilities sort of like rhythmically match a little bit of Carlito, the character's sensibilities, which then is exemplified in this final set piece where he goes full, you know, Hitchcock level of sort of crane shots and um, uh, dolly shots and and full out in this one, like Steadicam tracking shots through the uh uh i think it's grand central station by the looks of it yeah um and the way that he moves like from the like getting onto the train to uh the people following him and then getting off the train and then going into the multi-lever leveled grand central station where like there's like three or four different levels where people are on all on different things and the way that he has these guys chasing him in ways that looks like you know they're they're not like dumbasses they are following him quite well but at the same time he's always like just barely out of sometimes he's like lying down on top of the uh escalator, the escalator. as it's going up and, and down then, and you one have incredible. one of the great the great payoff of having the big the big heavy Italian guy because he he needs he's to too slow. stop to take a <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, well, he's, he's too yeah. slow and he needs a breath and then he sees Carlito cuz he's taking a breather that's so fucking good that is yeah. so good that is absolutely fucking hilarious yeah also, that is a just, great piece piece of writing for sure <laughs> i wanted to just uh, say something about the the Sean Penn death uh, before we we fully move on to the the finale uh, i also mm-hmm. love that uh, Carlito chooses to tell him to keep the gun on the uh, uh, in front of him instead of behind the pillow, yeah. so he has more time. But he does that knowing that he took the bullet. So there's this element that makes you think he wanted Sean Penn to have that moment of realization that he took the bullets. He didn't want Sean yeah. Penn to just die. He wanted him to know why he was shot and couldn't defend himself. And yeah. that that just that's extra a real, that's element. A real gangster. Yeah, th- I just I just wanted to throw that in there because that extra element to to his like his planning is very uh, it, that's pretty that's pretty dark stuff uh, and it's yeah, yeah. It's, it's just great. Yeah, I I also um, one one shot I wanted to bring up in this big uh, subway finale, which is like again, it's a pr- basically a perfectly crafted crafted like suspense chase scene and yeah. uh, done in like a bunch of different like orchestrated like wonders basically like the camera just very like there, there's one shot in here that's like four or five minutes long basically in this 20 minute chase scene that happens um but one i really love is the one where they go up the escalator and the one guy gets really close to getting to al pacino uh, and the camera and, moves yeah and and the, the camera slightly oh, wait, wait, pulls back enough oh so that you can see 
um, Al Pacino on the left side hiding behind the yeah, wall, yeah, yeah. and the dude right. on the right. Basically, he could turn his head and see Al Pacino, and Al Pacino has basically looked like, "Holy shit, he's, I've maneuvered all he's the ready. angles." He's got but this the gun. Is, yeah, and he but he's like, "This is my last angle. If he sees me, it's down." And so yeah, when he hides behind that wall, and the way that he pulls his gun out of his black trench coat and just hides there right behind that wall as that guy's looking at him, and then the one dude so last second is like, "Hey, dude, I think he went this way," and they start moving again, and then the camera still in the same shot goes over to him watching them go down over top of the balcony so that he knows that that level is safe so he can go down to a different area so again the way that it just tracks his headspace and his choices as a character as he's again perfectly manipulating and controlling um the space that we're seeing it's really exhilarating to watch the same way it was to watch that that pool scene Mm -hmm. um and uh, supposedly because again De Palma is a fucking madman this chase scene took months to film Oh, it's yeah, 20 yeah. minutes and of the apparently, film, and it took months. Apparently, they, wait, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say, they start. apparently they started the chase in winter, and they didn't finish it until the middle of summer. So Al Pacino wearing his black uh, trench coat leather was in the middle dripping. of summer, just dripping sweat. <laughs> and, and, and De Palma says that one day he got so frustrated yeah. that he... just he, rode the subway home. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, he just abandoned the, fucking, the set. That's a king move. Oh my god, that's amazing. I love it. Yeah, and and, and that's just because, again, that just tells you how precise these shots need to be. Um, Because, I mean, we we talked about when we did Carrie, but that wonder that he does... Um, in in the in in the prom where it follows yeah. all the kids down below and goes all the way up to the bucket of blood and then becomes an overhead shot over the bucket and then zooms in and finds Carrie sitting at her table directly connecting the bucket with her like that shot took <laughs> ridiculous him an, yeah he he spent an entire day on it and the studio was fucking pissed they were like you spent the entire day on one fucking shot and he's yeah. just like yeah but you have to understand how important the shot is and it's the shot everyone talks about from that movie now oh, so it's yeah. the same thing here is that this set piece like he he really nails the movement and the geography and the space of all these different characters moving around and again once again activating us into carlito's mind on how to do the same thing how to manipulate everyone and how to get out on top how to survive which makes it so much more painful when because again at this point at this in this set piece every time i've watched this film i've seen this film like four times every time i watch this film during this set piece I'm like, fuck, he's going to do it, man. He's got it. Look at him go. Look at these moves. Look at him go. I can't fucking believe it. And then, and then Benny Blanco from the Bronx. Yeah. Benny Blanco from the Bronx. That's brutal. (laughs) Guns him down. We get all the way to the opening scene, but the opening scene is no longer discolored. It's now in the uh, same sort of like film that we've been watching this entire time. And we get to watch him in real time, basically realize, you know, that, his fate happening. has been sealed that he, yep. yeah. that, you know, he was so close to the end and he was so, um, again, he's so exhausted by the experience of my entire life has been this constant battle of survival and trying to outflank and outskill people in all of these different situations and then just being hit. And the weird feeling about it is that there's obviously this mournful sadness because we've grown to like Carlito uh, over the course of the film and, all, uh, yeah. and and some of his romantic feelings that he has and how he was so close to getting that dream. Like that line he says too. And the kid. Like, uh, like, yeah, yeah, and the kid. Like the like just new to say the three of us like starting Brigante. a new life. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, well, and, and also when he says um, the dream don't get 
closer than this. Like yeah. we have to run yeah. now. Like we have to basically like make it happen the way that they, yeah. and in the, in, in the scene too, where they're the, the post sex scene that they have where they, she talks about her dream of being a, a, a dancer, dancer and I think she says I've woken up from my dream and I hate my dream now and basically he's just like look we cannot hate our dreams we cannot hate ourselves we can like we can go somewhere we can escape to paradise as the billboard says I love um, how he believes and, it to the end I like there's something yeah. just very respectable about that and 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 what's weird is that even though we are sad and like th- this ending gets me every time like I, I oh my god every time I ball like I ball um, like a little baby my god yeah, it's, it's. I did it's, not think that was gonna happen when I was getting into this. Film. <laughs> you know, we got we got Scarface well, starting it off, and then we got Carlito's Way. I'm like, okay, another gangster movie. Here we go. Let's. And, and well, I know and, the vibes. And think of the. Sk- I think of the skill it takes to get you to make you feel that way while oh, also showing you the opening scene too. And you basically exactly. knowing that this is where we're leading to the whole time. But part exactly. of that is what's even worse is that you watch him so skillfully and struggle against this fate the You're entire like, how time. How could this happen? You, yeah, you almost believe that he is going to get out at a certain point because he yep. believes it so much, and then he doesn't. And his lines, dude, that he gets here. Oh my they god, just, they they fuck me up so hard because me too. <laughs> because because he's just like he's resigned. He's almost not upset at Benny Blanco. He doesn't die going fuck that kid. I should have fucking killed that kid because that's not who he is. His idea yep. is just like, do you know what? I'm fucking tired. This is honestly kind of a relief that I don't yeah, have to uh, it's also do this like, shit It's anymore. also like in, in the voiceover, he, so so th- I love the, the closing. He goes, sorry, boys, but all the stitches in the world can't sew me together again. Lay down, lay down. And then he goes, he goes, uh, he, he says a line about uh, how he, uh, he goes, going to stretch me out. Uh, oh, I forget. Um, but he, he goes, um, I got out a whole lot later than a whole group of people thought about mm-hmm. how like yeah. I, I lasted this long in the game, way longer yeah. than a lot of people because they're all dead. All the people who who I went up with, yeah. um, I love that. Well, and, and I love and that. Really so much. brutal too is earlier in the film she, uh, she says too, I won't follow you to a hospital with your shoes filling with blood uh, yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. And then obviously the last. Uh, images are, 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 are her crying as yeah. like, ambulance are taking him out on, on a stretcher and him just saying, sorry, baby, I tried the best that I could. Honest. Last call yeah. for drinks, bars closing. Where are we going for breakfast? Don't want to go too far. Go far. It was a rough night. Tired, baby. Tired. Tired. Baby. And then Tired. his eyes so just good. fucking uh, yeah, so go fucking away. so fucking sad. And, and and then he looks at that billboard and he where he was gonna about to go on vacation and the billboard yeah. comes to life with her dancing inside of the billboard because all he with can her think kid. about even as he's dying, yep, is 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 her living the dream for them. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I love it, like, dude, like when he's saying th- these lines are just unbelievably just heartbreaking like gail's gonna be a good mom the new and improved yeah. carlito you can't go with yeah. me on this trip though baby like shit like th- i'm just like i'm sitting yeah. here like what the fuck am i feeling this is a gangster movie <laughs> get, oh, i'm supposed to feel man oh, dude, things that, yeah and that that line that line where he goes get in the shakes now and you're like oh god oh god, oh, god. dude it's it's yeah and, and not to mention too like not even speaking on this the, the, this incredibly heartbreaking inner monologue but the fact that mm-hmm. his one buddy betrays him too 
for no reason besides just like yeah. an extra survival thing. And then Benny turns around and, and then shoots he gets the motherfucker. Whacked. It's yeah. like it's yeah. just so chaotic and so sad and just there's there's no hope at all by the end of this movie. Besides maybe for Gail, which I hope she made it through and had the baby and has a decent life. Yeah, but well, like and, that's and, all and you know. Of, and think about how that scene like perfectly collides the two contradictory universes that he's established. There is like that street yeah. level chaos and and carnage that's that's happening in the scene, completely intertwined finally with all of the feelings that we've developed for Carlito and f- from Carlito's point of view, all at the same time, just like collapsing into each other as this final right. scene is happening. It's just it's just it really is just a perfect ending, and the fact that he fucking it is telegraphs it and it still plays like that is like insane oh, and, and and yeah. again part of part of obviously the 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 larger point is that it has it has this fatalism about a guy who you know basically survives by not realizing it or not feeling it not letting it take control of him yeah and even to the and bitter he, end doesn't let it yeah <laughs> he he kind of he's he, still smooth carlito all the way through it's just yeah, like, and, and just yep. and, and just just him saying, not even saying, I'm tired. He's too tired to even say it properly. He just yeah, says, he's just yeah, tired. tired, baby, mm. tired, tired. Oh, yeah, yeah it's so good. It's, um, a, it's incredible. Uh, yeah, so, so pivoting they're, towards they're, reductive rating round, I would say on Carlito's way. Yeah. Uh, this this one is absolutely five. Uh, Nice. For, for for me, I just every time I watch this, I get completely swept up in it. I think it's a perfect merging of. De Palma as a filmmaker who loves manipulating spaces and situations and Carlito whose skill is that he does the same thing. So the filmmaking gets you involved that way. But then De Palma can also orchestrate a lot of his old sort of like classical Hollywood camera moves that he likes to do and for the first time not do it with like a twisted grotesque irony. Like when he does the 360 camera embrace right after... um, Pacino breaks the door down and they start kissing each other in in the in the room. There's no hint of irony. This is pure romantic expression of two characters who feel things for each other. He films scenes yeah. of these characters who, you know, are just trying their best to express themselves in a really shitty environment. So like it's one of the first times I I one of the De Palma films that I watch where I'm just like I really really do care for the characters in her lives and think that De Palma actually did too and then he actually really expressed it through his filmmaking which is just you know usually he has a tinge of critique or irony to him yeah uh, you know in some in 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 his Hitchcock riffs like like sisters or body double or uh, I mean something like Raising Cain or something which is just like a really perverse movie this is there's there's nothing perverse about this except for the sort of like the emotional capacity meeting the material reality of the situation and it's really really heartbreaking so and and the fact that we do have a gangster picture that basically is like a hollywood technicolor melodrama almost with just some noir crime elements kind of thrown into it but seeing like you know the deep colors and orchestral music as pacino longingly looks into the dance studio holding the garbage can over his head like that is just a pure hollywood melodrama moment and pacino plays it honestly subtly <laughs> yeah, yeah and yeah. well and 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 very movingly so like you know i think this is just a perfect merging of like a hard-boiled gangster movie that is just in tone completely mournful and heartbreaking and there's no other gangster movie that really makes me feel that way because even though i love yep. 
Um, I loved Scorsese's The Irishman. There's there's a there's a blankness about that movie's weariness. There's a hollowness yeah. there that is still critiquing his character. This is like fully swept up in a melodramatic emotional reality. Um, very different. So yeah, gotta say this is just one of my favorite Pacino films, De Palma films, gangster films, all across the board. Escape yeah. to Paradise. <laughs> yeah, um, so I want to preface this by just saying that it took me four times to five-star Scarface. Uh, so, yeah. so this was my first time I watched Carlito's Way. And really what it was was I didn't realize how much I actually cared until the last like 20 minutes, especially the last five minutes. Like That monologue just mm. destroyed me as a mm-hmm. man. Uh, and um, so... I, what I want to do, and this is always the case for me, is I, I am going to give it the rewatch because I just I feel like I'm going to five this thing. Uh, I just like to be confident and really feel it before I before I lay it down. So uh, I'm mm-hmm. going to give it like the the highest possible four I could I could give it uh, right now. Um, but I I honestly think I'm going to be rewatching it tonight and uh, <laughs> and giving it the five. So you, so audience members, you should probably just listen to the other boys here. I, I do think that this is, is most likely a, a masterpiece because it's just, by, by the time it ends, I just realized how much, uh, how impactful it was and how much meaning there was to the, to the previous two hours. And like this, this mm-hmm. character build and making you uh, really understand, you know, how exhausted this guy must be after just decades and decades of living this life that he's constantly having to defend himself, constantly having to outmaneuver people and outsmart people. Uh, you just feel it by the end. And then when it finally hits his demise, um, all you can feel is sadness, regardless of the fact that kind of everyone involved has been doing these, you know, violent acts and all that. You just, you feel the sadness, you feel the, the, uh, mm-hmm. you just feel that you, they can't escape. And there's just, there's so much, uh, it just depresses the hell out of me in the best possible way. Um, so yeah, so, so four for now, but honestly, I feel like this is going to get that five, uh, on the second watch. So hell yeah. For you, Rob. Um, okay. So for me, my, uh, relationship with this movie, um, obviously grown up Scarface was like my, my favorite. Um, yeah. And when I first, when I first watched this movie, it was, it was probably like a year after, I first saw Scarface and was obsessed with Scarface and I did not like it. I, to me, it was just like poor man Scarface. I, <laughs> I just thought, I, I was like, man, it's this, all this drama. was just not, <laughs> yeah, but, but like, keep in mind, I was like 12. So, yeah, right. yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Honestly, yeah, I, I, feel so, like, I feel like that's the general consensus on the, on the movies. Uh, a, like a the older bit. you like get, the more you appreciate Carlito's way. <laughs> Yeah, because well, so, I mean, there, well, there, there so was then, a time where they were definitely equal for me, and you know, over the last like five, six years or so of watching them, it's just Carlito has been the one that's always like stood yeah. out. It's the one that makes me feel things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, sure. so th- so then like so then like I I kind of got older, and I was like I I to me De Palma I always saw as like a sleazy filmmaker, uh, with the exception of Scarface. And then I got older, and I learned more, and I realized, oh no, De Palma's the real deal. Um, then I started like watching his stuff and uh, like uh, aside from Scarface and Carlitos and I still always had that dislike of Carlitos without rewatching it. Then it, like I caught like the last half on TV. Uh, maybe it was senior year of high school, freshman year of college. I'm not sure. But I, I, I caught this the last half and I was like, fuck, 
<laughs> and then and then like I rewatched it and then I kept rewatching it. Uh, there was uh, a a period of time like my junior year of college, uh, spring twenty eighteen. I watched it three times in a week. Uh, total five. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, total five. Uh, my favorite De Palma. Um, to me, it's it's the most purely Brian De Palma because yeah. although uh, like. Although um, his his Hitchcock uh, rips are like still very much his own, like this is you you can see he's 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 made his own he's found his own voice he's able to do the yep. Hitchcock thing in a way that's not a Hitchcock movie he's able to to do the gangster thing in a way that's not a gangster movie he he brings all of the things he's done throughout his uh, filmography into this perfect example of his filmmaking style, in my opinion. Um, uh, you got the camera tricks, you got, you got Pacino, you got, you got it oh all. Oh my God, the, ca- um, the camera tricks, the helicopter shots, the split diopters, yeah. the dramatic all zooms and reflections. The 360 uh, you, spins. You got the, yeah, the crane, it, it, it's, un- it's unreal. It, yeah, you got great set design, great music, uh, great, the score is so good. Um, the writing's mm-hmm. great. It's just a perfect movie in my opinion and uh I, I might have said this uh to you before josh uh one of my dream triple features i know you're a fan of one of these i don't know if you're a fan of the other but uh this movie carlito's way 25th hour and the assassination of jesse james by the coward rob Ford. oh hell yeah no all all masterpieces for me that that would be like the best fucking triple feature called the yeah. dead man walking uh, series that that's yeah yeah that would that would depress the hell out of me though that would that would oh, be yeah. like that, that would be It'd like be the so ultimate brutal. sad boy about to hit his demise but <laughs> you know c- kind of knows it kind of feels it but you know still still lives despite that i also love josh yeah. uh, you put this it life as, sa- uh, th- you said you said it was michael mann's scarface Carlitos oh yeah when i, first I really watched liked it in that. 2016 i really liked well, yeah, that just because yeah, well, because it's just it, it's really sensitive and intimate right. and, exactly. and, and graceful in ways that, you know, uh, Scarface was like very intentionally so, but very like obscene and excessive and overblown and, and yeah. bloated a little bit. And this is the opposite. It's 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 a tragic romance. Right. Yeah. Because I just think I think that's a spot on analogy for sure. <laughs> and then he would do heat two years later. Al-Pino yeah, was for real. Movie. Good lord! Uh, but yeah, anyway, I th- we went long on this one, but uh, that I don't think it'll wrap it up for this week's episode. That was uh, Scarface, nineteen eighty three, and Carlitos, uh, nineteen ninety three. Later, um, thanks so much, Rob, for joining us and bringing these uh, films with you. If you've got anything to plug, this is where we let you usually do that. You might not have a whole lot to plug, but maybe maybe Twitter, other podcast appearances. Yeah, uh, well, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, follow me on. Uh on Twitter at responsible Rob or you know what don't I don't know I, 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 I it's I getting a little you. crazy well but but also if you follow me on Twitter just don't reply stupid things to me if you want me to follow you back and especially and especially do not um, uh, retell my joke in a worse way in a reply to me because like you're you're not going to better it I'm funnier and smarter than you 
uh, just don't even try. It's just annoying. Um, that was also, a great Twitter uh, advertisement right there. Well, you know, I mean, if you're a non-mutual, because there are these people that just clearly want me to follow them back, and they're like, oh, I'll, I know what I'll do. I'll show them that I'm funny. It's like you're actually showing me the opposite. <laughs> just like them. like the tweet. Like, no, I don't block. I don't, I'm respectful. <laughs> but uh, just like the tweet and move on, you know? But yeah. also, um, I'd like to plug uh, the boys at Extended Clip. You could catch... My episode on uh, Mikey and Nikki and Jack and Jill. Uh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Love that was it. a fun one. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. Hell yeah. Well, cool. I can also plug uh, extended clip on the show here, because I think by the time you guys are listening to this, my episode for them should be live, where I talked about um, Tony Scott's Deja Vu and Brian De Palma's, uh, again, Femme Fatale. Uh, nice. so I followed up Rob a couple weeks later and I, I think when this episode goes up, it should already be live. So just check out the extended clip guys. Uh, they're probably on every podcast listener of choice as well. And there should be an episode by me over there as well. Talking about more De Palma. Always. Um, uh, and well, wow. Just really quick because we were talking about, uh, people on, on Twitter. Some guy just, uh, sent me his thesis in DMs. What? <laughs> Okay. You get a is it, yeah. is it really long? What's the thesis on? Uh, it's about PTA. Well, I, it's his college thesis. I would assume it's really long. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. Have fun thanks, reading buddy. it. Yeah, yeah, got, yeah. I'm got, definitely he, going to. He got, he got his moment of fame on the show. Here, I'm definitely going so. to. Uh. <laughs> um, but for for our listeners, we are going to be back in uh, one week's time. Once again, as you know it, talking more De Palma, but also pairing him oh, with yeah. uh, his his mentor. Yes. Uh, or at least uh, the, the person he he uh, took the most lessons from, more than basically any other filmmaker. Because that was one thing that a lot of people wrote about Hitchcock, actually, was that you know he, he had one of the most popular film styles for a while, and it didn't really seem to influence people outside of kind of like plot dynamics in a lot of ways. Like, it wasn't like, you know, the the fancy crane shots and the way that he builds a suspense scene and stuff, which is what De Palma mostly took from him. Yeah. So we are going to be talking about Hitchcock's maybe finest example of that in, in Psycho, and we're going to be pairing it with uh, De Palma's really trashy Giallo remake of Cycle, uh, Dressed to Kill, which, uh, you know, is, is, is also a, a very strange time. Again, we're going, yeah. <laughs> at, going at a completely different route of this De Palma, we are going to talk about him at his absolute most perverse and fetishistic and maybe troubling. So we're going <laughs> to talk about Psycho 1960 and Dress to Kill 1980. That'll be next week's uh, bonus episode over on patreon.com slash podcast. And then next week we are going to be back with a special guest uh, and we are going to be talking about uh, sci-fi horror from the 90s. We are going to be uh, first completing the John Carpenter Apocalypse trilogy by finally doing In the Mouth of Madness, uh, which I've never seen and I've been really excited to watch because I love The Thing and I love Prince of Darkness a lot. Very excited to close out that trilogy, but we're going to be pairing it with one we've been meaning to hit for a long time. That is Event Horizon by oh, Paul awesome. W.S. Anderson. The third time we're going to be talking about Paul W.S. Anderson on this show. What um, was the second so, one? Because I know we did Resident Evil. What was the other one? We did Resident Evil and we did his Mortal Kombat movie. <laughs> right, right. How could I forget? Beautiful. I love Mortal Kombat. 
So we're going to be talking about him doing some sci-fi horror alien style film uh, alongside John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness. Very excited to talk about both of those in two weeks' time. Awesome. Uh, But that being said, I think that'll wrap it up for everything this week. Thanks so much for listening, guys, and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy.